Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA Live podcast number 277. I have a lot of subjects, a lot of questions I can already tell, so I'm going to just dive into it. Let's just get into it because there's a lot. There's a lot from from all directions. So let's uh, let's uh, start with um, start with something easy. <laughs> um, as I say that. Uh, uh, okay, I'll start with this one. This one's from Michael Rosa, who says, Hey, Phil, what is your favorite amp in a box pedal? And that's pretty easy because I've been very consistent over the years. And I th- I like questions like this because I used to think like, oh, they're asking the same questions. But to be honest, questions like this, I think are really great for uh, me and maybe for you guys to be like, you know, do I change my mind over the years or do I stay the same? And I know you're asking for my favorite pedal in the box or sorry, amp in a box pedal. Uh, and if you guys don't know what that means, means because everybody's at a different level when it comes to what they're doing with their gear. An amp in a box pedal means it's a guitar pedal that is designed to sound like a guitar amplifier. In other words, uh, you know, so like if you have a Fender 65 Deluxe, you might have a pedal that sounds like a Fender 65 Deluxe. My favorite amp in a box pedals, uh, and you said pedal, but I'm going to give you four now. I have added one. Uh, and I don't own the fourth one, but I want to talk about it. So the three I've been saying for years are the same. It's the MXR5150 pedal. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, pedals. You can uh, watch a great video of, of Tim Pierce and I on his channel talking about some of my favorite pedals. And that's one of the ones we talked about. The uh, the BE100 uh, uh, by Friedman pedal is, again, it's kind of the yin to that yang. In other words, if you don't like the 5150, I think you'll kind of like uh, to me, the the, the the 51 or sorry, the, the 5150 has more fizz in it, and the uh, the BE 100 has more growl. But they almost sound identical. You can almost get away with either one. That's why I say both. It's not that I prefer one or the other. I own both. But to be honest with you, I kind of feel like if you ask me which one would I pick, I almost don't know which one because they're so similar. I'm okay with them both. Um, and then of course I have the Lawrence Petros 87. Now I have the deluxe, but I actually just prefer the 87, the non-deluxe. The deluxe is just, you can switch between the two channels, uh, with foot switches versus, um, the standard one, which has a switch. Um, that one is actually my favorite of those three because it's the most amp-like sounding and it's the less fizzy. It's got more growl and less fizz in it, um, but the trick with that one is uh, it's not it's not so much so easy as it is just like the uh, MXR and the Friedman where it's an actual exact amp, amp replica. It's replicating a style of amplifier. But I have to uh, have to tell you guys again, I really, really did really like the Universal Audio uh, Dream 65 Dream Pedal, which is their 65 Deluxe in a box. Those are my favorite. And they're different. They're different. Um, and then like Flubity Doo is like the PAL 800. Uh, the PAL 800 is great. It's a JCM 800 in a box. The problem is, for me, is as much as I love that pedal, and I would actually say, if I was just going to say, if the question was, what do I think the most accurate, like I've ever heard, amp in a box pedal, it's got to be the Pedal PAL 800. It sounds exactly like a JCM 800. It's almost creepy how accurate it is. Um, then I would probably say the 65 Dream is the most second most accurate, you know, amp in a box pedal that I've experienced that I like. But the question is, you know, which ones do I like? I, I would have to stick with the ones I just said and for the reasons I said. And um, and out of the three high gains, I, I guess, like I said, it's didn't. I don't have a specific one I like out of the bunch. I think any one of them would be would be more than adequate, fine for me. So. Uh, and since we're talking about pedals, I knew this was going to come up. This was something all week. Um, and I put a link in the description because I knew it was going to come up and it did. 
So the link is in the description. Um, so it's going to be a weird subject to talk about because – and well, we'll just get into it. Uh, so the question comes from Paul who says, hey, thoughts on full-tone pedals closing? The question is, am I sad to see it go? Uh, and so here's the deal if you guys don't know what's going on. So there was a letter leaked to like the gear page and to other outlets – uh, and I, there's a link, like I said, in the description of this video, if you want to click on it, it's a link to Guitar World's uh, article on that letter and talking about what I'm going to talk about, which is not not that I've seen, maybe you guys have seen so far, not that I've seen, ha- has it been 100% confirmed this is happening? You know, it's still, and and that being said, it's a little tricky because Mike Fulton, <laughs> I think it's Fullerton, Fullerton, I can't remember how you say his name. It's it's not full full tone is the company, but I think it's Mike Fullerton. I can't remember. I've talked to him once via email when I was a dealer, and he was an interesting fellow. Interesting is a as a word a lot of people use when they try to be polite. That would be how I would explain it. He wasn't like I didn't have a bad experience. I just it was an interesting exchange. Uh, I I reached out to him to become a dealer for his pedals, and um, his responses were oh somebody says Mike Fuller. Okay, so Mike Fuller. Uh, strange, <laughs> strange, <laughs> strange. Uh, what I remember about that exchange was, uh, that was on the store's face, uh, you know, from the store. And then I remember, I remember, I'll never forget this. I took the e- the email back and forth that we did and I posted it on the store's, uh, Facebook page. And I asked the customers, I said, Hey, what do you guys think? And a hundred percent were like, do not buy his pedals. <laughs> um, it was strange. He had some strange outlooks. Uh, uh, I'll share some with you because, again, this is in- I already made it public, so it's not something I have to hide. Um, I remember reaching out saying, hey, I'd like to carry your pedals, and, um, you know, here's what I'd like to order. You know, if you have a buy-in requirement of a dollar amount, usually that's how it works. If you guys aren't familiar with it, when you become a dealer for a product, usually there's a dollar amount you have to hit, or sometimes there's a stocking profile. So a dollar amount can be as simple as, you know, $1,500 to you know, $5,000 for something like a pedal buy-in, you have to spend that much money or a stocking profile, which means uh, you have to order a certain type or a certain amount of pedals or certain types of pedals, like, a, you know, cross the profile. And uh, I said, I gave him a suggestion. I said, I said, hey, I'd like to become a dealer. Uh, you know, this is the pedals I'm interested in, which was, a, you know, pretty good order. Um, I think the order I was suggesting, I think I'm doing off memory, was like $2,400 worth of product. He responded and he said, my buy-in is 1500 bucks. Again, that's kind of off doing off memory, so I could be a little inaccurate with some of these numbers, but the percentages will be accurate because I remember uh, being relieved, like, oh, he's asking for less than what I offered. And, uh, but he says, you have to buy like every pedal I make. Or, and I was like, oh, there's a couple pedals that are, you know, great sellers. And, and uh, we used to call that in the store the Gibson tax because Gibson, you know, when you do the buy in, sometimes they would make you buy stuff that you just couldn't sell. And so you had to think of that, like, oh, I gotta, I'm gonna have to blow these certain items out at a loss. And, uh, and then I remember he said, uh, he responded with, and no discounting. I don't care if it's your brother-in-law. I just got rid of the biggest dealer in the country, um, which was, uh, I forget what that was. It was a pedal. It was the one that um, Andy used to do all the pedal videos for. Um, but he goes, I just got rid of them because they discounted a pedal. And he goes, so I, if I catch you discounting anything, you're gone as a dealer. And uh, I remember thinking like, Wow. Okay. <laughs> and he goes, and uh, you have to carry my pedal or my cables. This is the part that made me chuckle. He's like, you have to carry my pad- our cables because the cables you carry are mediocre and crap, which is funny because he didn't know what kind of cables my stores carried. But interestingly enough, I actually carried the company, the, the cables 
the company that made his cables. Uh, <laughs> so I was laughing going, well, I actually have his cables. So obviously I don't carry mediocre crap because um, I actually had his cables, just not without his name packaged on them. Now, he could have spec them out differently, but I don't, I don't think he did. But it's possible. Anyways, I uh, just thought, okay, all right, I'm still going along. And then the part that made me kind of chuckle the most was – uh, when he basically said, um, so he said, no discounting. I got to carry his cables. I got to do the stock profile. I was like, all right. Um, and then he said, uh, we were talking about uh, all kinds of issues. And something that came up that was interesting was he was talking about, I guess, if people buy a pedal used, they didn't buy a pedal. They didn't buy one of his pedals. I just remember this, this conversation being very strange. So I guess the, 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 the takeaway I got from it was, that if you buy a used pedal, a, a, a full-tone pedal, and you have an issue with it, um, you're not a customer of his because you didn't buy it new. <laughs> so don't even contact him. And uh, I remember I posted this because I got this weird vibe, and I posted it on Facebook of the store saying, hey, what do you guys think? And I remember the customer saying, no. They go, if this is how he is, and he hasn't even got your money yet, wait till he has your money, and he really doesn't care. And I, I'm only telling this stuff, not to drum up anything, just this, just to say – uh, this is why I'm going the way I'm going. He is a strange, in my opinion, strange type of individual from a you know different time, different genre. And uh, anyway, so what happened this week is that apparently a letter was leaked. Uh, and again, we haven't confirmed 100% that it's him. It's a, it's a butt hit. Uh, I guess they did confirm, at least what I thought I saw, is in the letter he states he's selling the building and closing the company. And the building is for sale. So again, one piece of information. What I wanted to talk about, since I knew you guys would bring this up, and I really hate talking about things and then finding out two weeks later, this didn't even happen, this is a hoax, and you know now we're talking about stuff that's not even real. Um, there was something in the uh, letter that I thought was interesting to, to talk about, and uh, I'm going to pull that up and share that with you. Uh, please give me a second. So... And then we'll talk about that because that is it is part of the guitar uh, stuff that we could talk about. Okay, hold on a second. I know I have the link. It's funny. I have the link on – there it is. Okay, uh, let's – and again, I'm going to share it with you. Uh, what I'm sharing with you is, is from Guitar World. So again, it's not just uh, – you know, it, you know, I'm hoping they did some research on this. It says full tone reportedly shutting down its California factory after three decades. So since ninety five, and he says, and they have a quote here: "This four year climate makes a one hundred percent made in USA impossible, and uh, it's time for the old guy to move out and make room for the genius of the next generation." And by the way, the reason I uh, want to talk about the the interaction I had with him is the tone of this letter, which is I'm gonna go back to me, which is very kind of. If you're not reading it sarcastic, it is very sarcastic, is the tone in which when I had email communication back and forth with him, that is the tone I had with him, or he's the tone he had with me. This kind of like snarky, uh, you know, snarky, condescending kind of tone, and it's in this letter too, so that's why I said it it could be possible, but again, we're going to focus on the the thing that's, I think it's interesting, is this... It's 100% main USA products are impossible. So it goes on and it talks about basically that he's just done. This is the actual letter or the letter that's alleged that he uh, had wrote. And he's going to, you know, he's going to live in, in Nashville and he's going to retire. And I'm sure that could be also possibly true. Um, and again, they showed that his building is for sale for two and a half million dollars. It's right here. 
And I hate that I have to kind of talk about all this boring stuff before I talk, but I have to show you where I'm getting information so that I don't end up on some gear page as, Phil McKnight said, this is what's happening. I am not saying anything that's happening. I'm reacting to what is being said that's happening. That's I just want to make that very clear. I have no information other than what everyone else who's speculating on. I'm, I'm here uh, to uh, speculate as well. But the real question or the real topic for me is this statement that basically it's impossible to make products in the U.S. anymore. And this is only important because this is something I've heard a few times recently, and recently meaning in this year, that it's becoming impossible for especially companies in California to continue on and from their mouth. So again, this letter could be inaccurate. However, however, the sentiment is something I've heard before um, from a manufacturer saying like they're basically being squeezed out. And uh, not just California. I don't want to just kind of pick on that state as well, but it's one of the states that was mentioned the most when I'm talking, when I talk with companies and them talking about the decisions they're making. And these decisions seem to always be forced into two categories. Either we got to go overseas or we got to close and it just can't keep going. Uh, somebody says Kiesel. No, not Kiesel. Remember, I don't talk to anybody at Kiesel. Um, I, 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 I don't have like a relationship with them other than I like to buy their guitars. <laughs> That's pretty much my relationship with them. Um, I deal with uh, Brandon at Kiesel. He's amazing, but I don't really talk to them in a, in a detailed way like I have with other companies. And they don't hire me uh, like other companies do for the stuff that I do on the on the side, my side gigs. Um, but uh, yeah, ER Webster, I, I'm staying focused. So you know, ER Webster says, notice how he takes time to let everyone know his awesome retirement plans. This is what's funny in the email res- response, me back and forth to him. There was stuff like that in the emails. He's like, I've made this million dollar company and I'm not going to let any store mess it up. Like there was all kinds of verbiage that literally felt like that letter. So like I said, it, I feel like if he didn't write the letter, somebody who knows him or how he talks or thinks wrote the letter because it, it was just an echoing of like, it actually took me back years and years ago um, to like when I was interacting with him. And again, like I said, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. I don't want to like say he was a horrible person or that was a horrible experience from that interaction I had with with him. I couldn't say any of that. I would just say that it was the opposite of when somebody's trying to give you money to do business with you. It was kind of like, you know, I will take your money, but under these is, this is how it will go. And he has every right to do that. Any business has the right to conduct business the way they want. Uh, and in the, in the result of that, I just want to point out, because sometimes people get carried away with what they hear. Uh, the result of that is exactly what should have happened. I decided not to give him my money, not be a dealer. And we're both better for it. Or maybe that's one of the reasons that he's not, he might be closing now is because uh, I can tell you a lot of dealers wouldn't have, I didn't take the deal and I'm pretty easy going. Um, so anyways, uh, back to the thing that's interesting is this part about not being able to make USA products anymore, which is funny because he says in the letter, a hundred percent made in USA, but I don't even know if you can make a hundred percent USA pedal or if anyone's currently making a pedal that's a hundred percent made in USA components come from all over the place. So interestingly enough, I thought the whole thing was kind of interesting. And 
Um, I'm really more curious as a, as a community how we feel about this. You know, are we ready for this to happen for the pedals? Because I feel like amps, it's already happened. I had, I uh, this will all tie in. I did a video yesterday on the JoYo amp, and uh, there was a comment that it's like I won't buy a, a an imported amp, and I don't even know if there is such a thing as a made in USA amp anymore. Uh, that's 100% made in USA. There's just I don't know if one of exists. Um, there's got to be some component that's not coming from the U.S. at this point. So it's interesting to me, uh, you know, at what point this is all going to happen, this new world. But it seems to be coming more and more each, each time. And this could be another another step towards that, which is we're just going to see pedals be imported. Um, and hold on, you guys are saying a lot of stuff. <laughs> I love it when I love it when you guys get excited, but it also gets a little tough. Um, Trick or treat, Arizona says assembled in the USA more accurate these days. I agree. That's what's funny when he said 100% assembled are made in the USA. I was like, well, isn't that funny? I don't know what I don't know. I can't tell you what percentage of the parts are are USA made, but that statement 100% made in USA seemed not accurate. Um. So interesting enough, and, and like I said, and we talked about it. The the takeaway from this is, you know, that <laughs> we talked about it. I knew it came up. If we find out anything more accurate, we'll we'll talk about it more. I don't know if it's newsworthy. The thing is about this. I think companies close all the time. Uh, it's just how it works. Um, I don't really see it. Um, there was a lot of, and this is why I wanted to address it. There was a lot of emails this week to people like, what does this mean? Is this the end of the beginning? You know, or is this the beginning of the end? And what does this mean? And it doesn't really mean anything. I, you know, I said this 15 years ago, I would ask this question. I said, you know, I feel like 15 years ago, <laughs> I just want to repeat that. I remember thinking the majority of the people that I know in this industry, industry, 15 years ago, we're 60. The majority, 60 is not old, but the majority, when you, t- when you look at owners of companies in our industry, when the majority is just a few years away from the, what, what you can be a retirement age, and that was 15 years ago, you have a lot, I mean, a lot of manufacturer owners and company owners that are getting towards retirement. And you know, I would imagine it's a tougher market. It's a tough market now. And it has nothing to do with the slowdown of the boom. It was a tough market before the boom. It was the tough market during the boom. It just changed what was tough. There was during the boom, there was lots of buyers, but there was no parts, no supply. So there's still endless nights of no sleeping for the manufacturers or for the companies, the guys that own these companies. So it's just stress. So like I said, to see to see that I, now, 15 years later, that I'm seeing these owners close their companies when I was saying over a decade ago that I feel like, you know, I, I can imagine we're going to have a massive exit of ownership from a lot of companies. And we've seen this many times over. You know, Mike Saldano sold his company in 2019. You know, Saldano is now owned by um, uh, Avi, who owns Boutique Camp Distribution. He sold off. There's a lot of companies sold off. Now, Full Tone is are, is not selling off, according to Letter. Um, but there's so much, you know, layers in that that we would have to do a whole show just on that. And it wouldn't even be worth talking about a why. Um, it's probably viable to sell. I, I'm really curious. I, in fact, I, th- I was waiting to see if any of you talked about it. I was really curious to see if somebody like Josh Scott or somebody would buy up his intellectual properties. I think that would be a really interesting idea um, to just 
buy the properties and, and make them. But I, I say that knowing knowing nothing about the pedal business, the side of it. It's not something I really get involved with a whole lot uh, on the pedals. I'm more of the guitar business. And, uh, you know, it might even be a waste of time for somebody to even think of that. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Okay. I'm just looking to see if you guys... Just looking to see if there's any kind of more on that before we move on. Hmm. All right. I think that's it. All right. So let's go to the next subject. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. The next question was... um, yeah, this was another one, another big topic that came up. So again, when I see you guys talking about things that I know are out there, I try to grab them. This one came from Sun Bass, who says, Hey, Phil, any thoughts about the new Music Man Stingray HT model with patent-pending heat-treated pole pieces with a large ceramic magnet plus an overwound coil? Uh, yes. So I said this before when they announced it. Um, there's two things I can tell you. Uh, I, we talked about it briefly when they announced they were doing heat-treated pickups. Uh, I'm not really clear what that was and what they were even saying. I mean, I could kind of like generically guess what heat-treated means, but I didn't really know. And I was like, okay, so we'll see. It sounds strange. Um, I was able to play one of the guitars with heat-treated pickups. Did not care for it. <laughs> it was not my cup of tea. Um, I... Uh, it was not horrible. I'm a huge Music Man fan. In fact, I'm looking at a Music Man, a brand new one right now, and I'm literally going back and forth with my friend going, should I do it? Should I pull the trigger? Because I know what I'm going to have to get rid of to get the guitar. So just to let you know, I'm seriously a Music Man fan. That being said, um, I was not a fan of the heat treated pickups. They're very EMG, and I like EMGs, but I'm, you understand what I'm saying. It was just a different vibe. Now, I watched, because a lot of you guys, as you guys asked me this question, sent me their... Um, <laughs> They sent me their um, video on heat-treated pickups. Um, I'm going to say this. It's going to come across harsh, but I don't know how to explain the other way. It was like watching... It was like watching a politician. I've never seen anything like it. It was the most impressive. I learned nothing in a video I've ever, ever seen. I just... It was like the we heat-treat the pickups, and therefore they have more output and they have more output because we heat treat them. And I understand the idea, the concept. You got to understand, I've actually, I've actually sat with a couple of my pickup friends and we went through like everything we could kind of read about these and go through this in detail to see what it is that we're, what it is they're doing. And, and what it is, is it's, 
what you're trying to figure out is how much of it is like a marketing angle and how much of it is real, you know, kind of real craftsman workmanship, you know, really doing things. And, um, and I have to also, cause again, for my bias purposes, I have a bias on this is not what you guys think. I have a bias because the string companies in general, and, and this is pickups I know we're talking about, but strings are not much different in my mind. String companies, which let's face it, Ernie Ball's also a string company, um, tend to come up with a lot of like marketing gimmicks and they go away over time and they come up with another one and they come up with another one. And some of them really are real and some of them are kind of just, you know, again, marketing angles. And I don't know how much of this is, ac- is actual doing stuff. And... I, if I was going to give my theory, and again, I think everybody who's talking about this actually has to come out of it the same way. I'm open-minded. Like if they were, let me put it this way. I would, if, if they offered me an opportunity to learn about them with them and go through the thing and share it with you guys, I would be very open-minded to do that as I always am. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I would, uh, I would tell you this as, as honest as I would always be with you guys, uh, when I did the 55-point inspection deep dive, I did not expect to see what I saw at Sweetwater. I was, as you guys know, I was the first one to say, like, I think it's fake, <laughs> right? And um, and I didn't think they were doing it. And now I've done that, that kind of mi- micro documentary about it. And again, I don't tell you guys that it's, oh my goodness, it's the best system ever. I told you what I thought the flaws are. I told you what I thought they did. But the reality was they did have a system in place. They do have a system in place and they are executing on it. Whether it works or not, that's up for you to decide because you get the results of that. So everybody's going to have a different, but to, the reality is they're doing it. The same thing with this. I played a heat treated pickup. I thought it was okay. Does it really work or not? I don't know. I wasn't in my own room with my own amp. I didn't really get to spend a ton of time with it. And like I said, I'm going into this with a little bit of like skepticism because I think that's healthy when it comes to something like this. I don't really know that it would do a whole lot. And it's back to that. I, you know, if, if the argument is it's 1% different, well, then I would totally understand that, but I don't know what 1% different means. So there you go. That's the thing. Uh, I, that, that's, that's it. <laughs> what I will tell you on a side note is, is that the interesting part about this is that pickup manufacturers as a whole don't do well when they come up with new ideas and pickups. <laughs> so uh, regardless of that, let's not talk about whether or not they're real or not. Let's just talk about if people want them or not. My guess is they're not going to do well because essentially a few guitar players will grab onto it. When there's new ideas, a lot of gu- our few guitar players grab onto exciting new ideas. They get really excited about it. But as you guys know, I actually collect bad ideas. That's uh, one of the coll- things I collect. Um, you've seen, I have a bunch of guitars in my collection that are to me, really interesting attempts in the market to do something new. And that failed the most, all those companies that I have those guitars from are out of business. And I love that they try new things. And I, like I said, I love the high idea of trying a new type of pickup technology, but, uh, my skepticism also says that even if it's true, it doesn't matter that most guitar players won't grab onto it because guitar players rather play a, uh, you know, a PAF style pickup or something like that. So, uh, Sean Brooks says, it seems so many companies come out with revolutionary products that never go anywhere. Exactly. And like I said, and that doesn't mean they shouldn't. And I, and I I love that. Um, I love that they try it and I I give them the attempt for doing that. And same with the music man. Like I said, that's why I said, I'm not trying to bash on the, on the product. Um, I don't know enough about it. So 
Yeah. <laughs> Some of you guys are making jokes about play. Okay. So, um, um, uh, the, and I'm just reading some of you guys' comments about, about this. And, and like I said, there's so much you can do to a product, uh, when it comes to a pickup or a string to have some that makes some difference, but that's the problem. How much, what, what difference is it really doing if it's small? So yeah, a lot of you guys are talking about the same thing I was talking about. The, the, regardless of what the pickups are or not, I thought the, um, I thought, uh, I thought the, uh, the marketing on it was really, really strange to the point where, like I said, I, I have to call it like a, it was like a politician. It was double speak. It was weird. I was waiting for, I thought that when they were making some videos, it was going to just walk you through the technology, you know, or the concept more detailed and show you. Um, so interesting. It was interesting. So I don't know. Uh, I'll say, I'll say this. I, I, like I said, I can't imagine it's going to do well. All right. Um, the next one came from Mr. Bigfoot, 1951. He says, Phil, my current acoustic amp is a Johnson 15R. Any suggestions for a new one? Yeah, you know what? When it comes to acoustic amps, there's just tons of used good ones everywhere. So I would look for a quality used one. What's nice about this is you have the Johnson 15R. Let's just say that's a very basic, basic, basic uh, amplifier. So what I mean by that is there's like there's there's not a whole lot of lateral moves you can make with that amplifier. Almost all, most acoustic amplifiers are going to be a step up. So if you go out there and look, if you find some old old crate amplifiers, some of the green ones that are really nice, or you can find Trace Elliott acoustic amplifiers really inexpensively, old Ladbach, a Boss, uh, a Roland ones. I'm sorry, Roland ones. Tons of great acoustic amps. Um, uh, I've been in a couple of music stores lately uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I think every music store I walked into had at least one used acoustic amp that was quality sitting in, sitting around. So um, I, th- I think that's an amp that didn't do well during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of not a lot of performance, small performances in coffee shops because, you know, a lot of people were masking up and it's just, you know, one more person in the room. So they weren't doing it. So I would just say go out there and look for something like that. When it comes to preferences, you know, I mean, there's a ton of ones I like, but a lot of the ones I like, because you can understand at the, at, at the, at the, the time I've been playing, a lot of the acoustic amps I might suggest that I like are all going to be very expensive. I mean, very, very expensive. Um, I own two acoustic amplifiers and they're very, very expensive. And I wouldn't suggest them to anybody. It's just, I've owned a lot of them. And at so, so much time you look for certain things in them. And, but I can tell you right now, you could basically get like the fender ones that are ultralight are really good. You can get the crate ones. You can get, I mean, so many good ones out there that are in a price point of maybe $200, $300 that you can find. So like I said, just go out there and look at you stuff and plug into it, plug into it and play it, take your acoustic and go. So that would be my suggestion to you. If you're in a situation where you can't do that, that's going to be a little tougher. But again, like I said, uh, just look for a decent acoustic amp. You know, there's a ton of them out there. Super easy. Uh, all, like I said, everything's uphill or everything's up going up when you're starting from, you know, from a basic model amplifier, which is what you have. Okay. All right. Uh, let's do, sorry. Hold on a second. All right. Uh, we have, uh, this was a question I just wanted to answer. This was from Trick, is this from Trick or Treat AZ as well? It says, Phil, what would you choose between a 2018 S2 Custom 24 uh, 
and uh, he's talking about colors, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to get to the core of the question. It says, uh, or an SE Custom 24. And uh, specifically, I know you're being more specific in your question, but I want to be more general so we can help other people out there too. The, the thing about the custom, uh, this is something I see all the time. Uh, this is why I want to answer this question. Whenever I see the question of, hey, should I pick this PRS S2, which S2 is a Stevensville 2 guitar, it means it's made in the USA and Maryland, but it has import parts on it and it has less carves and less uh, beautiful tops than some of the core, more expensive models. Or the SE, which is the import model. Model, If you get the newer ones, they're made in Indonesia. The older ones are made in Korea. And in this case, in this uh, question, both are custom 24s. However, Here's what's interesting. When I see this question pop up, I always see people answering it, and the answers are always the same to me. They're always like, you know, the S2 is basically the, you know, the S2 is basically an SE, get the SE. Or they'll say, you know, the S2 is way better, get the S2. There's always a reason like that. What I will tell you is this those two necks are totally different. So the S2, made in Stevensville 2 guitar, has a pattern regular neck, and the custom 24 SE has a pattern thin neck. And the importance of that is, is that because they are made in different factories, that even though those necks are different just by those definitions of being pattern regular and pattern thin, on the SEs, the necks that are pattern thin are thinner than even pattern thin USA made PRS guitars. So what I'm telling you is, as if you're, if you think like me, which is all I can you know tell you is that I'm going to give you my rationale and see if you fall in line. To me, a guitar first is his neck. It's the most important thing. It's the thing I can't get around. Um, I have a couple guitars that I love the way they sound. They are beautiful and they are, they are amazing. And the necks are not very comfortable. And if I keep them for recording purposes, because I know if I plug and record with them, but I would never play with them or perform with them uh, because the fact that necks are very uncomfortable to me. So to me, 90%, just throwing a number out there, of what's important to me about a guitar is the neck feel. It's the most important thing. It's got to be thin or it's got to be thick. It's got to be, you know, comfortable. So what I'm telling you is about those two guitars, regardless of all the differences that we can explain, I'm going to tell you on those two guitars, even though they're both custom 24s, those necks are vastly different in the feeling and how they feel. And so I would, uh, if you can't actually physically touch them, just be aware that the SE, the import, neck is going to feel really tiny. In fact, smaller than if you've ever played a Mexican Stratocaster before. The reason I use that is because most everybody has picked up a main Mexico Strat at a guitar center or somewhere, so you should have a reference to that. I like that neck is reference. Um, I've, I've, I've told companies many times, one of the best things about being a, uh, a YouTube channel, and I try to get companies constantly to lean into us is that they can't say things that we can't like you're never going to see a video at fender saying this neck feels like a 59 les paul they're never going to say that and although what's great about that is that's the fastest way you can communicate information is take a neck that everybody's familiar with and then say this is how much thicker or thinner or rounder than that is and that gives you at least something to guess off of you know what you like so what i'll tell you is the se is going to feel smaller than a main Mexico Stratocaster neck. So it's gonna be a little thinner and a little smaller on the uh, the shoulders. We call it the shoulders where it rounds off. It's gonna even kind of come in faster. So a lot faster. Where the S2 is gonna feel kind of like a thicker, even a little thicker than a Mexican Stratocaster neck. And the shoulders won't be, uh, they'll be a little uh, softer in other words, a little bit not as, not as C-shaped. So that's what I want you to think about is if you ever played a Mexican Strat and you like that neck, 
then I would say, think about, do you want that? Would you like that neck of his a little chunkier or a little thinner? And that should point you in a direction. The rest of the stuff doesn't matter. You can always throw in whatever pickups you want. You can always drop in a different bridge if you want. Pick, tuning keys, like I said, everything else can be modified. So uh, that being said, there you go. Um, so hopefully that helps you. <laughs> and I like to talk about that stuff because I think that's the stuff that, um, uh, so there you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of reading a question about another PRSS too. Um, uh, uh, this question is from Sal who says, Hey Phil, I just got a PRSS too. I figure it's on the same subject. We'll hit it. Uh, custom 24. Is it worth putting a brass trim lock on it? Um, I have never, uh, so like I said, I have never personally upgraded my trim blocks on any guitars except for one time. And I switched a, uh, brass block to a, um, I think it was aluminum. Uh, it might've been titanium. I'm pretty sure it was aluminum because I think a titanium block would have been really expensive. Uh, but it, I got an aluminum block and I did it to my copper strat and I had this theory in my head, like, Oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll ditch, you know, some weight cause the brass block was heavy and uh, I did it. And I thought the guitar seemed a little brighter and I couldn't, I, I, you know, could have been placebo, could have been real. I don't know. I just perceived it that way. Um, the reason I tell you that is up until then, I never believed that a block had any change. Um, I've, I've never done it for myself personally. I've never, ever upgraded a block on any of my personal guitars, uh, from even the, you know, the pot metal blocks, you know, the cast blocks to a brass block. I've never done it. Um, uh, for me personally, I've done, I feel like hundreds, I think hundreds is a good number. I could say I've done hundreds for customers and 90% of the time, cause I'm, you know, nine out of 10 times, I didn't notice a difference at all. So that kind of made me not want to do it for my personal guitars. Um, what I will tell you is, is that even though nine out of 10 times, I thought I didn't hear a difference. I would say eight out of 10 times, the customer told me, wow, way better. <laughs> and I went, okay. Uh, if that makes you happy, <laughs> you know, I always thought, well, may they have been playing the guitar a lot longer. Maybe they would know, you know, I only had it for a few minutes to play before I started messing with it. So, um, but I, I never noticed enough to where I would justify the price for me. Um, so, so there, there you go. That's just the kind of th things I've noticed for me. Um, but, uh, I have a lot of friends that I really respect and they, absolutely think it works and they absolutely do it. And it's one of those things like I really do respect them on so many levels of what they know and how they, you know, set up tone and stuff. So I go, ah, you know, there's gotta be some truth to it because I don't think they would all be falling for it. But for me, it doesn't work. It's not, you know, not different strokes for different folks. So in your, uh, your case, you could do it if you want, but if you're asking me if what I do it, I would not. Cause I, to me for the money, I think, uh, I don't think they're that expensive, right? It's like 30 bucks for the money. I'd just probably do something else. <laughs> Put that money in something else. Um, and then Tampa Blues has a follow-up question. He says, Phil, did they have floating bridges? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, I would say if I was going to say, you know, going off memory of all these years, uh, if I was going to say when I noticed it the most, like to say the one out of 10 times, it would mostly be in the floating. And I have read tons of, tons of, 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 I don't say books, but just tons of articles on the subject. And most articles I've read have concluded that floating seems to matter more than non-floating. So, and that's another thing too. I don't float too many bridges on my guitars. Um, some are floated and some are not. So for instance, behind me right now, the, um, 
the Charvel DK24 is not floating. It is actually blocked, so it only goes forward. However, the Kiesel and the uh, Fender Journeyman Strat uh, are floating. And, um, and that is a real simple thing to do. That's, that's uh, what I mean simple. I mean, it's obviously simple to do it, but I mean simple reason why I have that. Some guitar bridges I have are floating, some are not. And the reason is as simple as how well they stay in tune and take a beating. And the DK24, I can knock it out of tune if I try really hard. And so I just, I don't float it. And the Kiesel, for some reason, I can't knock out of tune. <laughs> and so I floated it. So, cause I kind of like a little bit of float, you know what I mean? Just the way it feels on the, I like the way it feels on the tremolo when I, when I, or the vibrato arm, you know, when I do it, when I move it. Um, so. <laughs> Tomlin5150 says, holy crap, all your guitars are different colors on my TV than on my phone. Yes. You know, what's funny is people forget that uh, not only did my, the cameras that us, uh, on YouTube use change things. The screens you guys use uh, change things. And I love it when I see comments and I'll say, this color is green. And then two people will say, that's absolutely not green. You're colorblind, it's blue. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's your screen. <laughs> or sometimes it's my camera. Like I said, uh, I've said this before. I don't know if I can see it. Let me turn if I turn for those. Yeah, you can see it now. It looks like a, a this uh, telly right here, this Oh, I'm pointing at a telly for those of you listening. Um, this telly right here, I, it's been a ton of videos and I always tell everybody it's seafoam green and everybody goes, Phil, it's surf green. And for some reason I'm looking at it right now and I can tell you in this camera right now, it is not the same color. I've never seen it in any of my videos be the exact color it is. For some reason, the cameras I own just do not grab it. Um, so there you go. But my phone will, if I took a picture of it with my phone and posted that, it comes out correctly on my phone. So, so, and sometimes for me, it that works the opposite. The phone doesn't grab the cut right color and the cameras I use do. So. So. Um. Uh, BC, not BC, I'm sorry. Doorstop, uh, had a question and he says, Hey Phil, what are your thoughts on the black star St. James, specifically the 606 version? Um, so I, I talked about this on my, on my patrons to my patrons. So they know what's going on. Um, I had, I had, I'll say an interested party reach out to me to do a video about those amps. I was very excited to do a video about those amps as I'm, I'm actually really interested in those amps, uh, to some degree. And, um, what had happened was, uh, they, and I want to be very clear. They did not ask me to read a script. They did not tell me I had to give it a, any certain things in any kind of review. There was nothing like that. What, what they, what I call it is bullet points. They had bullet points. And so I want to be very clear cause I don't want to start anything that's not, you know, again, I just want to be hundred percent accurate at what I'm saying. Um, what it was happened was they, and they were very apologetic. They reached out and they said, look, I know this is going to probably be a, a spot of contention for you. So like I said, so that's how the email started. Like, Hey, I know this is probably gonna be a problem. Um, but there are some bullet points we want discussed with the product. And I read the bullet points and, and I, to be honest with you, same thing I told my patrons, I really feel like Again, 90% seems to be the number I'm using today on the show a lot. 90% of the things that I they were asking me to point out about the product, I probably would have touched on them just naturally. The problem is, is that 
I, I kind of have a hard fast policy about how a product comes from a company. And one of it is, is pretty much they have no control of what I do and say, which is, which is a tough thing to ask a company to do. But I say that for a ton of reasons. One, not only is it to be as transparent as possible, but it's more importantly is that I just, I just have a different experience when I have to worry about what it is they want me to talk about. And then I feel like uh, I feel then uh, compelled to send them a link before the video is made, and then I, you know, and then they might have suggestions, and then I feel like the video goes a different way, and the whole process is just not something I'm excited about. And you know, everybody on everybody that has a channel on YouTube, whether your channel is a hundred people or a million people, whatever, has different ways they like to do business, but or conduct themselves, I should say, and more importantly, they have different different avenues that are revenues they can make from their content. And at my level of channel, uh, sure, I make a little from doing this and it's nice, but it's not enough. It's not enough. If I'm not having fun in a video, it's just, it's gotta be because I think I'm doing something for you guys. Cause I'm like, okay, at least the audience wants it. I call it hearts and minds. I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get a lot of views, which will pay me tens of dollars, <laughs> at least the people watching this may appreciate it and then that helped grow the community and then there's a there's value there you know what i mean so it has to have some i have to have some value but more importantly when i'm staring at the camera talking i have to have a reason to do this and if it's not for me it's got to be for you guys um i always i always uh say this there's only three reasons to make a video because you asked for it because i want to do it or a company asked for it and um i'm okay with doing a video for any one of those three reasons however when a company wants a video i have a different like set of parameters in which I want to do things, which is basically I, I want to have fun because it's something I'm curious about. Or like I said, I don't want to turn this into a, a job. They don't, pay, they don't pay any healthcare. They're not paying, you know, 401k. They're not paying a salary. Uh, you know, so it's, again, I don't, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to try to get a job doing this, you know, working for some music store and I'll do their videos all day and they can pay me, you know what I mean? And that would be a job and maybe I'll get something out of that. But as an independent channel, Every situation has to be independently looked at, and the problem is that. And I swear, as I tell you, is that I might buy one of the amps now and just put it on the channel because, again, that would just be easier. And to be honest with you, um, nothing in the uh, interaction with them was a negative thing, and it wasn't even Blackstar. Sometimes, like I've told you guys this before, a lot of these companies don't even contact you; they have they have people that contact you. I was dealing with intermediary, somebody between us, and uh, so in that regards i want to tell you they were professional they were awesome i loved it i'm only disclosing this stuff to you because as that's the whole point of this weekly show is to discuss the things about this because let's face it uh you know i had a store for 13 years i can tell you the backside of a music store now i repair guitars for 20 years i can tell you what that's like uh i can tell you now what it's like to be a youtube channel that does gear <laughs> so uh I, I like i said i'm trying to give insight that's the insight that's what happened so to doorstop to answer your question is that's why i didn't do it but I still might do it because, like I said, I'm very curious about these amps. I think they've garnered a lot of attention, and I think they look a little interesting to me, um, you know, as a, as a product. So maybe that's fine. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I think it's a G, right? G Giro, Giro, Giro1422 says, what do you think of brass nuts? Uh, I love them. That's going to be something. I know it's going to turn into something. I love brass nuts. There, it can sound clip that. Uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I do. I actually like the, uh, like them fine. Um, you know what it was for me was, uh, 
there's a lot of things that when you are learning guitar and all the things about guitar, because it's not just about learning music and how to play music. It's also learning about the gear and how it all works and what do you do and what do you do with the compressor and where do you put the delay? And one of the things I was always told was like, oh, if you put a brass nut on your guitar, it's going to be really, really bright. And then one day I just heard some guy make a comment going, I don't understand. It's like, it's like, how can it be bright? He's like, unless you're playing the string open, you know, how does it affect the sound? And I go, oh, that's a great point. I got to check that out. This is way before YouTube. So I, I, when I would, I would have free time in the shop, I would just start messing with it. And what I really learned is that it doesn't do anything. In fact, if you watch, uh, when I did the, uh, Glary guitar, when I took Glary sent out a guitar and somebody said I should throw it straight in the, in the landfill. And I said, which pissed me off. Cause you know, I'm like, why would you throw anything right in the landfill? And, uh, so I, I turned it into a super strat and then we gave it away to, um, uh, a kid that my wife knows. And, um, there's actually a funny story to twist to that. Um, he kept it for about a year, and then he actually traded it for a really nice guitar because somebody was willing to give him a nice guitar. Uh, not that mine wasn't nice, uh, a nice guitar, and trade because they the video. They knew it was the, from the video, and obviously I'd put a lot of money and work into it. So he actually, it kind of worked out for him, so I'm really glad it did. And somebody else now has that guitar, and it's getting appreciated. But back to that, I put a brass nut on that. I even carved that brass nut from a block in that video, so you get to see that. Um, so yeah, I like them. So if that helps. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? Great. I love that follow-up. Thank you. PW, um, says I find brass nuts, uh, damned uncomfortable. You know, um, if you watch again, if you watch that video, you'll see, I rounded over the sides really, really, really nicely. I agree. Sometimes I don't like it when they make the brass uh, nut uh, with hard edges. I agree. It cuts into the side of my finger. I had the same problem. So I round it over real smooth and polish it. And um, I do that whether I made the nut from scratch or if I just get a guitar with a brass nut. I always kind of round it over and and polish it. And it's not always just brass. Sometimes I have that problem with uh, graphite or any of the other kind of coarse materials that are like that, that are, that are, I don't know if coarse is the right word, just hard materials that sometimes they kind of stab. So, uh, so, okay, let's, uh, let's get to some of these, uh, super chats while we're at it too. Uh, Steven says, Hey Phil, new guitars day, multiples, Yamaha silent guitar, steel string, PRS Mark Holcomb. That's a cool guitar. Um, uh, happy happy day. Thanks for all you do for the community. Cheers. You know, it's, I kind of, you know, uh, PRS, when they reached out, they, they had reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in reviewing either the Holcomb, I think the six or the seven string. Does he have two? I think he does. And, uh, I, I picked a different guitar. I'm doing the parlor guitar over it. And I was really like, Oh, I should do it. I should do it. That guitar looks really cool. But I picked the parlor over it. Cause I, uh, thought more acoustics on the, on the channel would be more interesting. Cause I don't get very many acoustics sent out on the channel. So, um, that is a cool guitar. I, both are cool, but I, I, I'm really happy for your Holcomb. I think that's a cool guitar. Uh, Vim 69 says happy Friday. Great Joyo video yesterday. How does it compare to the Yamaha THR? So I have the Yamaha THR 32 dose. And, um, I have to say the, I, I've been on a, I told you guys, I've been on a kick where I've been wanting to try a lot of, uh, practice amps and I tried uh black stars, little practice amp. And I tried, um, obviously the spark and I did the gamma amps and I've tried a lot of amps. And I've been trying to find uh, like, uh, this amp because 
as you know, I have this room. This is the room. Uh, this room that I'm in is, I call it the office because it's like I have my desk here. I have the guitars. I have amps and I make, obviously, my videos here. Um, this video, this room is not like my room. I mean, it is, but it's not. This room didn't exist. If you guys are like old school watching the channel, I originally started making my videos in my bedroom, which is where I keep my personal guitars and amps that I play all the time, mostly, uh, in the other room. And, um, and then one day, because uh, I was making a lot of videos, my wife's like, well, maybe you should go in the other room. And she, this was her office, and we turned it into a room I could make content in. So I started making content in here. And uh, that being said, so I have the shop downstairs, and I have my bedroom, and I have here. And these are the three rooms I kind of occupy. And what it is for me is I really want, when I'm in my bedroom, not to be thinking about, you know, I don't want to be a being product and I want to be doing stuff for that, you know, for that I can do for the channel. Cause that's otherwise it's just, you're doing it all the time. So, um, I love the THR, uh, Yamaha for taking it in the bedroom and just having it as a Bluetooth speaker and plugging it through an amp and just practicing. It's fantastic. And so the Joe, you amp, I was very curious about because I, I kind of never know how a video is going to go. And when that came in, I was thinking, uh, first of all, I don't know if you guys noticed in the video, I think it's 219 and I think now it's 198. It's weird. It never does, works that way. You seems like as soon as you review something, they jack up the price. This one, the price dropped, um, after the video came out. Um, but, um, it was 250 when they shipped it to me. So I was like, Oh, 250. And so I was thinking 250, yeah, it's Joyo. I mean, I've had good and bad luck with Joyo. Some stuff's really good, some stuff's okay. And uh, here's what I go tell you. Um, it's now my new shop amp. So I, I've, I decided to keep it. It's an awesome amp. Um, what I like about it is I, I said everything in the video I stick with. Uh, the sounds are the weakest part. It's not as, it doesn't sound as good to me, to my ears, as the Spark does and as the Yamaha does. However, the Spark, as much as I love it, I don't even have a Spark anymore. I got rid of the Spark out of frustration um, because of the fact that my app uh, wouldn't work unless I did an, uh, a fix and I had to plug it in my computer and fix it. And um, uh, I was talking to Ralph and his did it too, but Ralph plugged in the computer and did it. And what happened was every day I told myself, so what was happening to me with the amp was every day I told myself and I go, oh, I want to get a minute today. I got to plug in the computer and do the update. And then the end of the night I'd go, I, pr I like to practice before I go to bed. I go to practice in the bedroom and I forgot to do the update. And then I'm like, oh, I can do it right now. And I'm like, well, I wanted to practice. So I just practiced on the settings that I was stuck in. And this went on for a few weeks. And you know how it is sometimes when you're just like, you know, you're trying to figure out how to how to do the update. I just didn't do the update. And then I go, screw this at this point. I go, just not going to do it. Um, and uh, so anyway, so long story short, I love the Yamaha for the sounds. And so I'm using that in the bedroom for the true tones. And I'm using the Joyo for the fact that it's a Bluetooth speaker. It has a looper, which is cool to jam on, has some decent sounds downstairs. And I like it. And for the price. So I think at this point, I'm going to do the Yamaha review. The Yamaha review is done. It was filmed already. The the decision was to release the Joyo first. And um, I don't, I told you guys, I do everything except for, I don't title the, the videos. I don't make the thumbnails. And now I don't actually just, I don't choose when they get released because I've decided I just don't want to know anymore. So like you guys see, it's always a, um, what do you call it? Premiere. And then you guys see me talking to you guys. That's because I get the notification just like you guys now that there's a premiere and I just jump on. I'm like, oh, cool. We're premiering. <laughs> and it's, it's been a, it's been a nice way to take some of the stress off my shoulders from some things, uh, to make things easier for me. So, uh, what I was basically saying was that was one thing I did have a say so in, um, the, the we were going to release the y Yamaha THR video. And then I said, no, release the Joyo, Joyo, Joyo first, because 
Um, I was afraid let's not let's not release the five hundred dollar amp before the two hundred dollar amp. That way they see it in the order that makes more sense. So there you go. Um, so to answer your question, uh, which one do I like better? Um, it's simple. It depends on what your needs are. It's uh, obviously price is going to be factored in that. The JoYo's biggest thing is that it has the looper built in it. Uh, absolutely. And it comes with a foot switch. And so somebody even mentioned in the comments, and again, that's the downfall of making a video and then you can't think of everything and then there's a comment. Uh, somebody mentioned that, you know, like the Rolling Cubes had a looper. I'm a huge fan of Rolling Cubes, but the looper and the Rolling Cubes used to drive me nuts because the foot switch for Roland had to use a nine volt battery. And so you had to unplug it. It was like a process. And again, sometimes when you're trying to practice, it's a, you want the process to be very convenient and easy. So, um, so I, I like it. I like it. I, I definitely, like I said, I mean, I could, I could have sold it off. I could have returned it. I kept it. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm impressed with it that much. Like I said, as long as you're, like I said, I think the video, I stand by the video. Cause sometimes the video I go, Oh, I should add this or take this away or change it. Um, here's the things that take away from the video. So you don't even have to watch the video if you don't want to. The drum machine's not that great. The sounds are okay. The cleans are really the, the seller of the amp. Um, the overdrives are okay. Everything's usable for a practice amp. It's as good as any other, you know, inexpensive practice amp. Um, but it's battery powered. It has a great Bluetooth and the looper is fantastic. And because it's 30 seconds looper, you can multi-track and it's to a foot switch right on your feet. So there you go. And then when the, uh, when you guys watch the Yamaha THR video, you'll see what I like about that. Of course, it's going to be mostly leaned in into the quality of the sounds, but the price point on that thing is pretty, pretty heavy, man. It's pretty heavy price. So, all right. Next, uh, we have, how does, <laughs> it's the same question. How does the G, uh, Joyo DC 15 compare to the Yamaha? So great. I'm glad that the Yamaha video will come out next. Cause then that way you guys can kind of you know, debate that. Um, and what's great about that is, um, I mic'd them the same way. They're mic'd the same way in, in the room. So you'll hear an honest comparison of like what they sound. And I use both, uh, videos. I use the, uh, Kiesel, uh, guitar. Cause that's kind of like my go-to in this room. I like that guitar. I know what it's going to sound like. And I like playing it. It's very easy to play. Uh, Lorenzo, dude, thank you so much for the super sticker. Uh, Matt says, hey, Phil, I'm wondering if the angle of the neck in relation to how it sits in a hard shell case matters. Absolutely. That's important. More importantly is the headstock. It says, my main Japan Aria Pro 2 doesn't seem to sit as flat as my 93 Studio Les Paul and either of my cases uh, don't want to damage it. Yeah, you need to worry about exactly that. You have to worry about how a guitar fits in the case because a lot of guitars get damaged in the case um, be, because that's when you think they're safe and then the case gets impacted and something happens to the guitar. And a lot of the, the damage that will happen in a case is twofold. Sometimes if you have a uh, three-way switch, the switch is right on the case, the case gets pressure and it pushes it in and you think it's going to save it. And the case is kind of designed to take side impacts and not top impacts. Um, however, another thing that um, that was also tricky about that is headstocks. That's where they get broken. My guess is that if you're next at an angle, um, it's not really the worst thing to think about. I just want you to pay attention to the headstock. You do not want the headstock touching the bottom of a case. That's because if it, it's touching the bottom and it gets pressure from the top, it'll snap. I have a video called Guitar Myths and I actually used a Gibson, my actual Gibson Les Paul and I did something that's, psychotic to this day. I don't think I would ever do if it wasn't, I was just like trying to do something for you guys. <laughs> I know that sounds like, uh, 
I don't know, like, I don't know if egotistical to say that, but I don't mean it to be that way. I just mean, like, when I was doing it, I was like, no, I'm committed to this. I'm going to show you guys. And I flexed on the, on the, on the, on the Gibson. I pushed on it to show how much flex. And um, it was scary to do it. <laughs> a couple times I've done videos and I'm like, what am I doing? And I always have it in my head that, that people won't believe it if I don't use like an actual, my actual guitar. If I use a company's guitar, they'll go, oh, of course he didn't care because if he breaks it, you know, it's a company's guitar. So I feel like if I don't chance my own stuff, then there's no skin in the game to believe that, you know, what I'm doing is really matters. So that's what I would pay attention to is that video. Um, uh, so huh, there you go. That's the answer to that. So just make sure that the, the, the headstock is safe and not touching the bottom of the case. Okay. Uh, hold on. Hey, I got to skip back to where I was. Okay. We have, uh, Pontus. I think that's how I'm going to say it. Pontus says, uh, got a crush on a Schecter PT, uh, Van Nuys thoughts. Also, I'm not used to non lacquered necks. Can lacquer be applied after the fact if I don't get used to that roasted uh, maple neck being so dry? So it's not going to be, well, uh, can you apply like a polyurethane or nitrocellulose lacquer to a unfinished neck? Absolutely, of course you can. Um, what I will tell you is that the, the roasted maple necks, um, I know they look dry, but they're very slick because they're very, very smooth. I mean, they are. there's not a lot of grain in them because of the fact that it's just been baked out so dry and smoothed out um my guess is you can probably steel wool that neck a little bit if it's not slick and it'll be slick so i don't think i would say it's the same as an unfinished neck and that's basically what i want to get at is that to me as someone who has a bunch of roasted maple necks they don't feel like unfinished necks they feel like finished maple necks to me they feel like there's a little bit of gloss on them it's satin it's not gonna be you know shiny but it's a little bit of a of a finish so i wouldn't worry about it too much you know what I mean? It's not something I would really, really worry about if that's your thing. Um, maybe worth a shot, especially if you have a, you're buying it from somebody reputable, has a good return policy. You can give it a try and just make sure. But I think based on what I can give you, at least you know you should take the chance. Uh, Pedaly, hey, what's up? Pedaly says for the pedal jar. Thank you for that. Okay, Domer says, uh, oh, okay, Doomer. <laughs> okay, okay, Doomer with a D says, uh, both. Graph Tech Tusk Strat Saddles. Oh, bot. I bet you that's bot. It says both. Bot Graph Tech Strat Saddles on a whim to replace steel uh, saddles. Do they actually make a difference in the sound or is this a boomer meme? Thanks. <laughs> a lot of boomer doomer things in there. Okay. Uh, it makes a difference. Uh, it can make the difference of sound, right? We talked about that, you know, uh, with the nut, just like changing the nut, you're going to get a little bit of change of sound. Sure. Of course. I think it actually absolutely has a, a slight change in sound. Would you notice it? Um, minor amount, maybe, but not enough to where I would say again, worry about it. However, what you will notice is, uh, it's, um, it will change the, the way this, the strings will break less. That's what's nice about them. They really do help the strings from breaking, especially if you're ever breaking strings, because they won't get burrs in the side like some of the cheaper metals will get. And, but um, some pe some players hate them. Some players like them. I will tell you this, that you got to think about it this way. There's probably a good chance 
that you will put them on and not like them, have to take them off and go back the other way around. It's worth trying, but it, I think that what you're looking for in this is, you know, is it, you know, hocus pocus, is it fake? It's not fake. It really has a difference in sound and the way it plays. So it's worth doing uh, if you're curious about it. That would be my thing. I, I have, I don't know what, I, I have one guitar with them on there. I just don't know which one it is. So, um, oh my goodness, this name. Dubba Taka Waka Tawaka says, Waka 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 says, Hey Phil, I didn't realize how much I liked working in on guitars till I started watching your show. Uh, thanks for inspiration. P.S. Don't try and pronounce my name. Uh, Tawaka Waka. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love, I love it. It's, uh, it's great. Um, it was funny. I was at, uh, Zim's Guitars last week and, uh, somebody bought a guitar uh, that used to be one of my old guitars. And in the video, I even said in that video that the switch was a little weak and I was worried about it. And then of course the switch was acting up a little bit. And, uh, so I said, well, I'm here, I'll, I'll, I'll replace the switch. <laughs> so I, I, I asked, uh, uh Dane, uh, the owner of the shop, if I could use his bench and I just did it. And then Dane's like, I don't want you to work. And I go, I go, man, this is like, sometimes when you get to do something like this, it was actually fun. Like it's a moment where you just get to do work on guitars. I love working on guitars. I love working on guitars and I like getting paid for it, of course, because, you know, making a living doing something you like is very important. Although there's, it's not the same as when you don't have to get paid for it. Like there's, you know, when you just do it because you enjoy it. That's some something fun too. And it's really fun because I don't have a whole lot of time sometimes to get stuff like that. So that was a moment where I'm like, I had the time, I was there, let's just do it. It was fun. Uh, Randy says, hey, Phil, what are your thoughts on the Ibanez Tallman TC? M50 guitars. I like the Tolman guitars, so that's easy. I know it's not an exciting answer, but it's I like Tolman guitars. Six String Steve says the skunk stripe on the back of my t ba on the back of two of my necks have separated, and I would like to smooth them out. Yes, is light sanding with steel wool possible solution? Absolutely. Yeah, you can use that. 3M pads as well. Uh, anything like that would be fine. Uh, I would, uh, you want to keep this very, very fine grit. Cause again, you're, it's not as lit. I'm going to say, I'm going to say something strange. Okay. Um, the way I want you to think about this. Okay. And, and for people that have this issue where something like that happens, a lot of you have experienced this, you have the back of your neck has a skunk stripe and it's lifted out and it feels really dramatic. And, um, you ever take and take your tongue and feel around your teeth and you feel something, right? Maybe a piece of food or like a little chip in your tooth or something. And it feels dramatic, right? You're just like, it's so huge. And then you look for it and you can't find it because it's really small. That's what I want you to think about is that this lift feels significant and it's really not. So you got to be really chill with, oh, so that's why steel wool works perfectly. Or like I said, a 3M pad, uh, they make a, 3M makes a white pad. It's, it's white in color. And it's a perfect pad for that. Uh, you see them in factories all the time. I have a bunch too. And they, they're about the same grit as a, as a piece of uh, triple lot steel wool. It works the same way. Um, uh, uh, Sean says, take a rubber hammer and pound them down. I would not recommend that. Um, you would, first of all, like a rubber mallet, maybe uh, the odds of you being able to pound it down is not likely. And you could dent the neck. And if you did the neck, you really have a problem. So I don't know if I'd recommend that. Steel wool, it wouldn't even matter. Remember, you gotta understand that's something that they already did to your your guitar at the factory already. Even if your guitar next gloss, you can just you can if you if it's your next gloss 
which it probably shouldn't be if it's lifted out because if, if it's gloss, it means it has a lot of poly on there and that should have secured it from lifting out. My guess is a satin finish or no finish at all. If it's no finish at all, don't worry about it. If it's a satin finish or a light finish on it. Don't worry about that. You can, like I said, you'll, you'll do that. And if it, if it was not as shiny as it was, you can buff it. You can just buff it back to shine. It's the same thing they would do at the factory. So... Uh, Tampa Blue says, go slow on the neck. Uh, there's no going back. Well, I said, use, if you're using the materials I'm telling you, uh, like steel wool, uh, it doesn't even matter. You, <laughs> you, your, your arm will cramp. I don't care how young or cool you are or strong you are, your arm will cramp out before you do damage with a steel wool on the neck like that. You just won't be, it's just, it, it, you'll, you'll just, you'll be standing for hours. So, like I said, we're talking about, that's why I said the 3M pads of that. You could use uh, something more aggressive, but that's when I would worry and you don't need it. Like I said, stick with the original, like uh, way I explained it. Like it's really small, no matter what you think. Um, Lusano uh, says, I got a Player Plus Nashville Tele, cool guitar, but the high E string is too close to the rolled edge and the fretboard and it keeps slipping off. Um, is it an e-fix? Quick question. Uh, oh, Quick amp question. He's got two questions. Okay, let's deal with the first question. The first question is simple. I have a video on that. Uh, it's uh, basically just Google or go on YouTube and type in Phil McKnight string alignment. That'll fix the problem right there. <laughs> so um, the um, I have tons of tech tip videos um, that um, get lots of views over time, and they're not really something you guys notice, especially if you're a viewer of the channel. It's just you know, there's something that I I put out, and then a lot of times. Uh, you know, you didn't notice because it was not something you're looking for. They're all easy referenceable videos. In other words, they're very short to the point and they just tell you how to fix the problem real fast. That's why they exist. I've made a bunch of them like, hey, here's how you fix a problem. And so that's the, just like I said, Phil McKnight, string alignment, or probably just, hey, let's just try it. Let's, let's try this, shall we? I'm curious. And, you know, why not? We got a minute. Okay, let's go here. Okay, we're on YouTube. Let's try string alignment. And there I am. I'm third from the top. So somebody's got a couple other ones. Look at this. How to align your car. Oh, string will align. Oh, see? String will alignment. Look, and then bam. How to fix bad string alignment on fenders. I'm the third one down, and I'm the only one about guitars. They're all cars. So there you go. Uh, that's the video, 73,000 views. Check that out. It'll solve your problems right there. And if you don't have that problem, watch that video anyways, because uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I can get 13 cents. <laughs> if every single one of you watched that video right after this show, I would make maybe 13 cents. <laughs> uh, but damn it, it's worth it. Okay, uh, we have... Uh, <laughs> What else? What, what else we got? Um, oh, he had a second part of the question. Quick amp question. Hot Rod Deluxe or Marshall DSL 40 CR? Um, I think I did that shootout video as well. Uh, I did that video. I did. I did a Hot Rod Deluxe video versus Marshall's uh, DSL 40. Um, there's things I like about both. I would pick me. I think I would pick the Hot Rod Deluxe, although I don't think there's a bad one between the two. And the main reason is it's just the way I play and what I'm looking for. I like more the Fender vibe clean than I do the Marshall clean for the most part. Uh, the Hot Rod especially. I like that amp. So that would be my logic, but you can't go wrong, man. There's no, I mean, if, if, 
if I only had one amp and it was either one of those amps, I would be totally fine. Um, uh, those are, these are the things where I, I've mentioned the gear math logic before the idea that, you know, <laughs> if this is good, then something more expensive is better. Expensive is better. Over the years, I've refined my palette, so to speak with gear, you know, and kind of better gear and better gear. Cause you know, as I collected and traded it, or as I just, you know, became enamored with it or validated it. Cause I have this, you know, this, this podcast and this channel and stuff, but long story short, I have a lot of nice amplifiers now, and I will gladly tell anyone that I had a Hot Rod Deluxe and I had a DSL-40, and I don't think any of them are better than any of the amps I have now are better than those amps by much. I mean, I do think they're a little better, but if I could have gone and run, drawn this experience, this curve of trying all these nice amps, I think at some point I would have stopped and it's probably around, 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 around them. Like I said, but it's hard to go back the other way now because... I mean, uh, to make it easy on everybody, if uh, or the easy answer to the question, if somebody offered me exactly what I paid for all these amps uh, and I could get out of them and go back to something like that, I would take it in a second. But the odds are quite a few of them I would lose money on. <laughs> and then I would have an amp that's not better than what I have now. So that's the reason why I don't go backwards. But Hot Rod Deluxe or the DSL-40, I think you're fine. I think it'll do anything you need it to, and especially if you got a couple pedals. Um, we all float here says got married last weekend and got an agile seven string headless MS to celebrate. Congratulations on getting married. Congratulations on the new guitar. First time for both headless and an MS. Any, I'm sorry, uh, for the record, MS is multi-scale. I'm sure is what I think it means. Any tips to, uh, for play or maintenance? No. Um, you know what? I've worked on a bunch of agile guitars and for the most part, most of them are fantastic. Few of them, uh, have issues. A lot of times, just the way they import them, the way they do them, sometimes you want to polish those frets. That's the only thing I would suggest. Uh, that's one thing I would suggest, especially on the seven string and the multi-scale, is polish the frets. Uh, check them to make sure they're not gritty. And then if they are, just polish them up. You can use steel wool. I got a whole video on that, how to polish your frets. And you can use, I think, 10 methods I show on how to do that. Everything from something that costs you a dollar to something that costs you $20. Um, and then uh, thank you for the super... If somebody sent me a super ch- sticker... Thank you for that. Jay Turi says, in reply to the last episode of selling your first guitar, I recommended not doing it. I sold my first instrument, an Ibanez SR400. Oh, uh, so bass. And I got I got when I was 13. Luckily, I was able to find it and rebuy many years later. Yeah, that was the takeaway. You know, that that question, um, you know, I told you I don't I don't title the videos, but um when we title the videos, you know, they get run by me. What do you think of this? And I'm, I cringe at almost everything. I'm like, I don't know what to title anything anymore. And I never did before either. <laughs> so I just hate it. Cause I'm like, what do you title it? If you title it boring, nobody clicks on it. And then all your hard work on making content that you really believe in doesn't get watched. And if you title it exciting, I feel like then people go, ah, oh, it's not what it says it is. And then I go, oh, well, that's not what I want either. Um, so, you know, I try to find this mid, you know, point, um, that last week's show, I titled it, um, you know, about the first guitar. Cause I thought, oh, okay, that's great. You know, right. So they said, Hey, what do you think of the title? I go, that's great. Go with that one. I like that one. And it did, it produced about 10 to 12,000 less views than the normal show. Cause it wasn't, you know, it was clickbaity or whatever, but man, I thought it was just such a great subject. I go, I don't care. Let's just do that. So, um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you responded. I think it really, I think it really hit a, a, a nerve and I liked reading all the comments. That was one of the first videos I've seen in a long time where I enjoyed like almost all the comments. They were great. Sometimes when you're reading comments, you're like, I don't know what the hell is half these guys are saying. 
<laughs> so anyways, I still love you all, though. Jared says, uh, for the old tip jar, thank you, Jared. I appreciate that. Voodoo Fist says, $10 for the KYG tip jar. A lot of chip jars, thanks. Hope you have a great weekend. I think I'm going to have a great weekend. I think. I'm trying to think if they're doing anything special. I'm not. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, uh, for the tone jar, thanks for your uh, to your recommendation. Okay, I now almost... Wait. I now have almost all of my guitars hanging on string swing hangers. Love them. He says, he says, love them. I say, love them. It's the only string uh, swingers, uh, string swingers, string swings are the only uh, hangers I use. Like I said, I don't use any other guitar stands other than them. And I'm not sponsored or endorsed by them. Uh, And uh, although, like I said, for the record, they have sent me free merch, you know I mean? But almost like, I mean, I don't know, almost every single thing I have here I bought. (laughs) so um it was more of a like they they're like you really like our stuff do you want anything and i go oh sure send me a few um so you know in fact actually here's how crazy this is i use a couple things like i said i use the demarzio strap locks i use levy straps i i just when i find things i really like dunlop strap locks i really like them and i use them uh string swing and i really kind of like as a guitar channel i want to try new stuff and share with you guys all the time but then there's certain things i just i don't want to string swings a a really it really sucks when i really like something like that because it really hinders me able to talk about anything else there's another st- guitar stand company that's reached out to me like six times to do videos and every time i'm like i'm sorry i just i wouldn't know what to say i don't use anything but string swing so i'd be like hey i'd have to say it in the video hey here's a cool st- uh, hanger and but I don't use it. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's fair to you guys. And, um, so yeah, so I'm glad they worked out. I, I know they're going to work out. Cause it's, like I said, there's a reason why I use them They're I trust them wholeheartedly, <laughs> wholeheartedly. Do I trust them? Um, it says, Aaron says, I bought a Taurus servo based on your praise. Okay. Everything is better now. I, I, <laughs> I, I both love and hate it for doing what it does. Oh, what a great way to say that, Aaron. And I'll explain why I I agree with you. It's just sound better switch. I absolutely agree with you 100%. I love the Taurus Servo so much. So much. (laughs) And also, like you, I hate what it does and I love what it does. It's like, it's, it's this... Like, I don't want a pedal on that apparently is making everything better, but that's essentially what it's due. I I understand what you mean. Um, For those of you who have it, you probably understand what we're talking about. It has this, like, weird compression, you know, sustaining kind of quality. It has this, like, cool sound to it. It sounds really good. It feels really good. But also, you feel like you're injecting synthetic things into your tone. There's this kind of, like, doubt thing you have. But I absolutely um, love it. So... Uh, David, what's up? David Burkhart says, Hey Phil, what pickups are in the Parker fly? I asked for Robert. Um, my Parker fly, I have a couple Parker flies. I don't know if you've ever watched all the videos over the years. I have a couple of them. So I have a park, uh, all the Parker flies I have currently, I've had one that had Seymour Duncan's. The other three I have, cause I have three currently Parker. I have two Parker flies and one Parker night fly. All of them have DiMarzio pickups, including the white one, and that's the one that's been out recently. And that one's really special to me because um, I have a pre-refined Parker, for those Parker fans out there, I have a pre-refined and a refined. So it basically means one's before U.S. Music bought them and then one's after U.S. Music bought them. The white one is what's called a refined. It's after U.S. Music bought them. But 
even though it's a refined, it has DiMaggio's on it, which is a transition guitar. In other words, they transitioned to Seymour Duncan afterwards, and this has uh, uh, DiMaggio's. I do not know what DiMaggio's are on those Parker Flies. I asked Larry, and Larry uh, didn't know because, you know, he's like, I don't remember. <laughs> he's like, that was the 90s, man. So um, he... Uh, he uh, he he uh, requested them to pull something from the archives for me. We haven't pulled it. Yet. We haven't got it yet. But um, but he's working on it for me. Um, but I don't know what's in there. I don't. I, I can guess, but I don't know. So when I know, I will let you guys know. But they are Demarzios, if that helps. All of them have Demarzios uh, for no particular reason. I mean, I don't have a reason for saying like, oh, I like those over like the Duncans. They put them in or anything. I just. Um, I just wanted it because it was this. This is the one I wanted. Uh, I, there's a when I did my guitar collection video, I discussed why, what's important about that white guitar to me, and how I got it. So, uh, and uh, and I'm never, I'm never gonna get rid of those Parkers. They, there is um, <laughs> a lot of questions about the Parker, and it's not even in the room. Well, it's in the rooms front of me. You can't see it. Uh, Brian Escatar says, "Hey Phil, what nut is on the Parker? Uh, it's a proprietary nut. Uh, it's Graftech, but it's it's actually." Uh, it's graphite, I should say, and it's made by them. Uh, all the Parkers I have have the, the uh, Parker graphite nut. Everything is stock on those Parkers. I'm like looking and thinking. Nothing has been added or changed or altered in any ways. Like I said, they're, they're to me, they're pieces of history of a moment, you know, like I said, just like some of the couple of guitars I have uh, that are a moment of, of, of time. I like certain things like that. It's something different, crazy. I've actually been to that facility, or the original, or, sorry. I've been to the Parker facility that US Music had, and I watched them build a Parker. I've actually seen a Parker be made, um, and it was the most crazy experience I've ever seen to this day. Nothing has ever come close. <laughs> no, nothing, not, no, nothing. I've seen, uh, I've seen so many guitars being built, and I've never seen anything like a Parker before. And I can only tell you this. It was so intense and crazy. I could totally understand why that guitar was doomed uh, because it's just so much work has to go into making that. It just does, almost doesn't make sense. So. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, Okay, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get to more of the more of the comments and questions. Uh, we have. Oh, this one is from I don't know how to say the name R W, Potter Patera Patera I don't know if I'm messing that up. Man, it says, uh, do you have K, uh, kids KYG shirts? No, I don't think so. We could probably have them. I don't have a whole. I don't even think I have merch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't. Uh, I'm sure you can get to the KYG merch store somehow, but I don't think they're linked in the videos currently right now. I think the merch was taken offline, so I don't even know if we even have merch. Um, there was a discussion. I know somebody bought some shirts because I saw some shirts come through, uh, but there was a discussion weeks ago about not having merch anymore, or at least like doing a limited run merch only. And I think it was pulled offline. Uh, so... What I can tell you is this. Here's what I can tell you. 
If you send me, any of you send me any emails to asknowyourgear or pmcknight7 at gmail. Both are at gmail. So it's asknowyourgear at gmail.com or pmcknight7 at gmail.com. If you email me and ask me that you want to buy any merch, any merch, I don't care what it is, um, I immediately forward that to my wife. And then she follows up. And she can either make you whatever merch you want or have the merch made and shipped to you. Um, she'll always take care of that stuff. Um, it, it has to do with me, and sometimes I'm just not in the mood to be like, buy my stuff. <laughs> I just sometimes, you know, you're like, okay, you got to push merch because you're like, oh, you know, it's part of the thing. You got to have revenue streams or whatever the deal is. And then sometimes I just, I'm like, I'm done. I just don't, I don't have that in me to be like, buy my stuff. So when I'm done that, when I'm, when I'm well worn out, like right now, we just don't have any merch out. Um, we used to push it pretty hard and it used to do really well for so long, but I just feel like every week was like another shirt, another push. And I think some people really enjoyed that. I don't think anybody actually hated it. No one ever complained at least, but it just wore me out. (laughs) There's only, there's only so much, you know, you just feel like you can't be pushing all the time on everything. Uh, Lit what's up? Lit says new guitar day. Our new base day, uh, KYG Valiant uh, into house. I saw the picture. Thank you so much. Uh, it says uh, direct from Ukraine and beyond. Awesome. Uh, what strings did you use on them? Extra short scale is not easy. Yes, I will. I will get a link and I will send it back to you. Um, on what strings we used, and I will get that information. I got your email and I did not respond because I just hadn't got there yet. Hadn't got to that point yet to respond. Um, because I don't even remember the the um, the thing with the Valiant bases was that week was hell week. That was the week before I went to Sweetwater. So they all arrived. I was doing all this stuff, and some of you guys who have them know exactly what. Because I remember my wife reaching out to you guys, going, "Okay, Phil's not going to be here next week, and so it's either going to go out or you got to wait for the next week." So we did all that stuff, and it was like a whirlwind. And then I remember working on this stuff to like midnight, and then I left at four o'clock in the morning to Sweetwater, and I was at Sweetwater for seven days and I worked all day, all night there. Well, I don't want to make it, you know, I had dinner and stuff. And then, and then when I came back, it was catch up time, you know, to catch up on the other stuff. So, um, so it's a little bit of whirlwind. I will find out what we used. I remember, I just don't want to be wrong. Cause I, I, that's what happened when I saw your email, I was like, Oh, I know what it is. And then I'm like, and I go, I told myself, I'm going to go down the shop and grab one of the packages to make sure. So I will do that. And I will let you know for sure. Um, and then also from the same name I can't say, <laughs> RW. I'm just going to call it RW if it's okay. RW says, do you ever do pickup giveaways? I did a pickup giveaway last week. Um, and in fact, my wife shipped them out. I know because I drove her to the post office. I was being helpful. I was really proud of myself. I took her to the post office on Tuesday. It says, I'm looking to change pickups in my Ibanez Art Core. Uh, and also, do you have kids' shirts? Yeah. So the answer to the kids' shirts is easy. Um, and the pickup giveaways, we did that. We'll probably do some more when, when it's time, you know what I mean? Uh, stuff. The, the pickup thing actually kind of backfired on me a little bit. I, uh, it's my fault. It's only my fault. Um, uh, I said, oh yeah, Chrome or black bobbins. And then, uh, he picked Chrome, which is fine. And then I went downstairs, uh, after the show and I go, I don't have Chrome. <laughs> I thought I'm, so I, I had to wind them on Saturday. So that's fine. So it's absolutely fine. I find it horrible even saying that. I just thought it was funny because I was like, it's more of like, I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I'm like, how did I not know I didn't have those? So I wound some up and uh, got them out. And then, uh, so it all worked out great, but it was one of those things like, I need to pay a little bit more attention sometimes when I'm 
in the moment uh, of the show. Uh, and then uh, same from RW. One more it says, hey, will your humbuckers work well in an Ibanez art core? Also need. Oh, yeah. The kids. OK. Uh, I also I need to get a kid's uh, KYG shirt. And uh, where can I get one? And we already answered that part. Again, I'm reading them kind of in the rears. Um, you know, I like them. That's the whole point. The difference between, and, and this is important, on the pickups, on the Blackstock pickups, the whole concept, the whole thing. And this ties into a great question. I'm going to answer I'm gonna answer two questions at the same time uh, because sometimes it works out great. And, this, uh, and, and so you're just going to have to ride the ride with me as we go through this. Uh, the question that came early that I've been holding back on was from James, who says, how many repairs are you doing a week? How many were you doing when you... Uh, concentrated on that business. Okay, this all ties in. So I'm going to explain it all and hopefully it'll all make sense. And also it'll be educational, maybe, because I saw the question. I, I have a calculator up because I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to shoot from the hip a little bit. You have to understand that I have a, a POS system and I can pull up actual data on all the repairs and all the money I've ever made doing repairs and every repair I've ever done. It's all logged into a POS system. So I have it all, but it's because of that. I've seen it so many times that I can give you a pretty much a good uh, a number. So I'm going to give you some numbers. And um, these are, you know, things that obviously uh, I hope you guys appreciate this stuff because most people wouldn't share this stuff with you guys. <laughs> At least I don't think so. Um, so I, I, obviously, when I did repairs at the store, when I had the store, like I said, so 2005 to 2017, I had the store. Um, so when I had the store, I was averaging no problem. Um, let's see. I was doing, let's see if I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back into my number to see if it actually makes sense to what I yeah, I'm right. So I was doing about 140 to 150 repairs a month. So uh, so that's about six repairs a day. And repairs are anything besides restrings. We didn't consider restrings to be a repair. And most of the time, I didn't do the restrings anyways. Somebody else would do them. Uh, so some, either one of the uh, employees would do them, or my wife would do them, or Ralph would do them. You know, somebody else would do the restrings. It was very rare when I would do them, so because it would free me up to do other stuff. So I was doing six repairs a day, and I worked six days a week. So you can imagine it's like an eight-hour day, eight to you know, right? So you're trying to do uh, on if it takes an hour to do a repair, you do eight a day. For me, I would average six. So six, um, whoops, six repairs a day. And here's here's what's great. Hold on a second. Okay, so about 36 a week times four, about 144 repairs a month. That in the system, and this is everything I'm going to tell you right now, is low numbers. I bet you, I would bet anybody right now that if I pull up the actual PS system, which is not on this computer, that's the problem. It's in my downstairs computer. If I pull up the system and actually look, the average was probably closer to 160 a month, 160 repairs a month. 144 repairs a month, and I can tell you for, for sure, uh, that they would average $72 a repair. Is that the average ticket? That's the average ticket. So 144 times 72 is about $10,368 a month is what I made in repair dollars. Now, that is that is the ticket because again i can i i'm telling you because i've seen this you know so many years it's my whole life it revolves around this right <laughs> I, i've seen this that's a total so remember some of the repair ticket is parts and some of it is labor of that parts were always made almost a 50 percent margin on parts so parts 
is, uh, we won't talk about that. We're just going to talk about the gross right now. Just keep it life easy. First of all, 30% went to actually, I had to pay 30% of what I made to the store to pay the rent, to pay the cost of having the shop. That was my, remember the repair business was my business. So when you guys have seen Ralph on the channel and he's like, I'm an owner of the store, he was an owner of the store. Me, Ralph, and my wife owned the store. My wife owned the Lesson Academy, I owned a repair business. It's essentially how it worked. So I didn't share any of the repair money with anybody, but I did have to pay. Uh, so, so imagine out of that, you have about $3,000 give or take, goes to the cost of the store. Because you got to remember, your rent's like $7,000 for a store like that. So about $3,000 that's been compensated by me by doing repairs. Okay, so that will take me down to about $7,000 a month gross. And remember, I have I remember I have costs. I have costs of uh, my materials and goods. And those would probably run me, on average, about $1,500. So we're now going to say that's about $5,500. That sounds about right. I would say that on a growth on a given month 56 times 12 it's about $67,000 a year that is about accurate cuz that's pre-tax now i'd get taxed on that uh you know, because you got to pay the man, right? You have to pay all that stuff. So that being said, and of course, there's some sales tax numbers in those two because parts have the sales tax and stuff like that. There's just a little bit of difference, but it still gives you an idea. What I can tell you is roughly you make about 60000 a year is what I was making doing repairs. There you go, uh, give or take. And so that's what you would do. Now, then at some point in 2017, I said, okay, I'm not going to come to the store anymore. I'm going to do repairs out of my house. And uh, so I do repairs out of my shop, which is downstairs. And what I did is uh, I had a clientele. Obviously, that's a lot of repairs. And because, again, I'm just giving you general numbers. And as the had nothing to do with YouTube, although YouTube was definitely helping it towards the end, my repair business actually started exploding. It was getting bigger and bigger. And YouTube wasn't like I said, not hurting it, it was helping it, but it wasn't a big part of that, it was just part of it. And to the point where I can tell you towards the end, I was doing over 200 repairs a month. And although that's great money, the problem is when your money is uh, is an hourly wage, just like some of you guys have making an hourly wage, uh, you can make a lot of money on overtime too, right? So yeah, if you wanna work seven days a week, 10 hours a day, you're gonna make a lot of money, but you ain't gonna spend it on anything, you're gonna be working all the time. So there's a little bit of that. So that that is how it goes. Now, the question, to your question, because I know some of you guys have questions about doing this for a living and stuff, so that's why I'm trying to give this information. He says, uh, and the next part of the question says, how many were you doing when you switched to just doing repair? Well, first of all, keep in mind, I immediately cut the amount of work I would do because I don't have to cover $3,000 nut every month. And more importantly, I have this list, or I say clientele of people who have been coming to me for years and years and years and years. So they would just come to me anyways. So it's like, I didn't have to like, advertise. I don't have any costs, right? So I would just do that. So I would switch. And so then here's the interesting part. So then I would go from about six repairs a day to three. So I went in half, right? So you go three repairs a day times six days a week. Now I'm only doing 18 a week times four. So now I'm only doing 17 repairs a day. But interesting fact is, is that the average ticket went way up, <laughs> It's kind of a funny thing. First of all, most of the people, um, I can tell you this, in 13 years of repairing guitars, I received one tip. I know that because I remember the tip. The guy tried to tip me, I think, 10 bucks. Um, 
And I said, no, I was in shock. I never had anybody offer me a tip before. He's like, here, a little something for your troubles. Cause he's like, I did a fast flip. In other words, he came in, he had a problem. I fixed it. Like literally why he waited. And then he's like, I want to, here's a tip. And I was in show in shock. I, so in shock, I was like, I don't know how to take a tip. I was like, uh, I don't do tips. <laughs> and I go, I own the store, you know, like, uh, you know, you don't tip the owner. And then, uh, he's like, no man, you deserved it. And then, uh, and then I think it was Ralph. It might have been my wife, but I'm pretty sure it was Ralph said, grab the tip, I think. And I'll, I'll even ask Ralph tomorrow if he remembers it, because I think this is how I remember it. He grabbed the cash and said, I'll go get us coffees. Thanks for the coffees. And then he ran to Starbucks and got us coffees with it. So that's why I think it was 10 bucks, because I got two coffees. So that sounds about right. So, um, he, so that being said, now when I went independent, I, almost every person tipped me. <laughs> uh, because whatever the bill was, they would just round it up in their head and go, they would just give me that. So the average ticket price uh, went to $93. That's how much it went up. So 72 times 93 is $6,696 a month. So about $6,700 a month. That sounds about right. Now you still, again, you still have a little bit of the parts in there. So you got to take that out as cost and you have material costs. Cause again, you still have materials like your tools, your tie, you have, you have, uh, you know, towels, you know, you have, you have maintenance, you know, you have polish, you have things, it's costs of goods. Um, and then of course your tools. And of course you're gonna have some expenses in there. So you can't even take that down. So essentially I, I was making almost about the same is what it really worked out to, but I was working a lot less as a repair guy, but I was doing YouTube and which is the whole problem with the store, the store, I was working the store. So I'd come in before the store opened, I would do repairs and then I would do repairs throughout the day when it was slow in the store. But as soon as customers come in, I had to help them. So I'd help them in the store and help with the lesson academy. And then I'd go back to repair. And sometimes I'd stay at night, late at night, um, and do repairs. So that's kind of the logic when you did that. Now, here's why this is important. It ties into your question. The other question, which was, um, it moved. Uh, the humbuckers in 2020 in, uh, I think it was April. No, it was March in March of 2020 during COVID. I've said this, the state of Arizona put everybody on lockdown essentially, right? Where was, you know, shelter in place, no unnecessary. And you got to understand my kids now are at home because they're out of school. They're sheltering in place. And what happened was I didn't want anybody coming by because you know, you, you know, so I had no repair business. I just, I shut it all down. And in that, I didn't know what to do with that revenue stream to give you a concept uh, of that is if you're doing the math and you're, you're working with me, if you're making close to 50 grand a year and literally three months, no, that's $15,000 of income I didn't make for three months, which was a little scary thinking that was going to be the future of the world. So what ended up happening was, I, this is why I say this is why it ties into the pickup question where it get where because I don't want anybody to be confused with the pickups and how they work and the black stock pickups and where they come from. I don't make pickups. In other words, I, I make them myself, but I want to name is I don't like go and make pickups like uh, like some pickup make, like DiMarzio, like Larry makes pickups and he makes pickups for Steve I and he makes pickups. I make my, I made myself pickups. I was making my own pickups for me. And then, uh, when I did the great guitar build off, I put a set of my pickups in the guitar as something to help a charity. I was like, okay, this will be cool. And it was kind of like, all, you know, it's kind of like if somebody cooks, 
you know, at home, they cook themselves meals. And then for a charity, you, for potluck, you brought potluck. My logic was, I'm just going to take this thing I make for myself and make it for somebody else. And then because of that, without thinking about it, a lot of you reached out and said, I want them too. And then I go, okay, I'll make them for you. Because <laughs> because I had nothing else to do because there was no repair business to be done. <laughs> right? I mean, I was like close, close customers, close friends were bringing me and we were like meeting in my front and then they would like bring it to me. And, um, and so, you know, and since you guys were going down the store, you guys know this, at some small part, there were actually was a plan. And, and now I actually feel safer talking about this because the, it, you know, I don't have to worry about more crap that I need. Um, the plan was I wasn't going to even do repairs here. I was going to uh, repair at a store, another store. So that was my the dream. And then, as you guys know, Nathan even talked to me. And Nathan left PRS Guitars, and he was going to come here, and we we're going we to work together. And the idea was we were going to have a drop-off pickup at this one music store, and then I would pick up the guitars, and then we would work on them, and then eventually maybe we'd have a shop, but we'd also have this uh, like satellite location where you can drop off the store. The problem with the store was, and this is like I said, now we can't we can talk about it, but at the time it was very very problematic for me because it was pissing me off. What happened was one of you uh, dropped off a guitar at that location. Uh, and so you guys know, it's not Zim's guitars. Cause you guys, I know, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, I, I'm friends with Zim's it has nothing to do with Zim's. Um, that's why it's important to mention that. I'm not going to tell you the name of the store in town, but I'm gonna tell you it's not Zim's. Um, what happened was, uh, one of you sent me an email and as you guys know, I document what I do on repair sheets and somebody sent me a question and said, Hey, you did my repair and I have a question about it. And I didn't have a sheet on this person. And which is one of the viewers and they just happened to be a patron. So we happened to communicate and we were talking directly. What we figured out was the store had took, let you drop off the guitar. They did the work and gave it back to you and said, I did it. And then they kept all the money, but more importantly, they were, you you know, they thought I did some work and I immediately obviously had to stop that arrangement. So that put me in another problematic position. So I go, okay, at this point, we'll just wind pickups. So I started making pickups for anyone who would ask them. So the reason that ties into both questions is one, that's a little bit of the backstory of how repair business, you know, how it works and how much you make, how much I made at least, and what you can make. You can make more, you can make less. That's what I made. Uh, what I will tell you though, is when it comes to the pickups, one of the questions that happens like this question, which is, uh, which is a great question from RW who says, you know, will my pickups, the, the Blackstock pickups, the, the uh, Northern Lines work well in an IBS R-Core? I believe so because they're not just like pickups I make for somebody else. They're pickups that I, they're my pickups. They're the pickups that I love in my guitar. So they're in most of my guitars is what I use. And so that's the idea. It's no different than, think of it this way. It's no different than in asking Steve Vai, uh, hey, do you do you do you think your Utopia pickups would sound good in my guitar? He's like, well, that's all I use is my Utopia pickups. So of course I love them. It doesn't matter that he didn't make them, right, Steve? I it's they were pickups made for Steve. I my pickups happen to be made by me, but they were made for me. So that's why that's why it's tricky for me to recommend them because it's not that I make them that I have the problem recommending them. It's the fact that they're they're something I personally like. So it'd be like me saying, you know. Uh, and then Brian S. Guitar says, how much of my business uh, is setups? Setups are definitely 
uh, without a doubt. Not even, not even. A, it's a huge amount of the work, and it comes, uh, and it comes most of the time here in Arizona. It comes in the summer months, which is why COVID was like a nightmare. Because uh, for, I mean, for a ton of reasons. But you can remember, we get like on March, then April. By May, May is when you start picking up. May, June, July are big months for repairs because the climate changes, especially in Arizona, where it's not so much that it gets hot outside; it's just the air conditioning units start ramping up, and as the air dries out in the homes. You can imagine you're drying out the guitars and they start moving and doing stuff and people need a lot of fret work done, a lot of fret sprout, a lot of stuff like that. What I will tell you, and this is why I focus on fret sprout so much in my videos, is to the point where I, I feel like I'm one of the few channels that either started this or really hits on fret sprout so much is, is I can tell you because of my POS logs, and in other words, I, not only can I tell you all the repair work I've ever done and how much I charge and all that stuff, I can also tell you what I've done and what I do more of now. I can tell you that in 2004, Okay, so 2004, 2005, 2006. So take uh, to to make it easy, because I don't have 20 years of d data yet, so I can't do 10 and 10. Uh, so let's just do things like easy. Let's say 2021 to 2011, and then uh, well, that's 10 years. That won't work. I'm just trying to give you an idea. Like, in other words, if I took a 10 year snapshot from 2004 forward, okay, so I just make it easy. 2004 to 2014, absolutely. Year after year, the amount of fret sprout that you repaired continually went up 20, 30% year after year, compounded. In other words, 30% one year, then 30% more of that 30%, more and more and more and more and more. It became more and more an issue. And that's why when I would go to factories, I would see more and more companies kiln drying or fast drying their guitars. And the more and more you see them fast drying guitars, the more and more you saw that repair being needed, which is why it's so such a problem now. You see it everywhere. It used to be something you only saw on cheap guitars. Now it's something you see on guitars that cost five grand. So, uh, so that's a, you do a lot in Arizona, you do a lot of fret sprout correction, a lot of dried out fret boards and stuff. So, and then, uh, and he goes, what is your average charge for a setup? There not an average charge. There was $75. So I charged $75 for a setup. That's essentially how I've done it for a long time. I was $75 before I had a YouTube channel. So I was, uh, I was $75 when $75, I don't know what the going rate is now. I don't even care. I was $75. I was $75 when $75 was a lot. When people around the Valley were charging 45, I was charging 75. And then I was 75 when everybody was charging 65 and 70. Uh, and it has to do with nothing other than a time factor. I have been very fortunate. Uh, and I'm fortunate now even, uh, cause the YouTube actually compounds the problem. Um, uh, I've been very fortunate to have more work than I can do. Um, and, and Nathan, who was in here earlier, could tell you this because Nathan now works for Fender in the custom shop. Nathan obviously worked with me doing repairs, and Nathan would tell you one of the problems at the shop has always been I could get 10 people help me, and still a big percentage of the people come in would say, okay, but I want Phil to do it, <laughs> which is great. It's very, 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 very nice thing to, you know, right? But a little problematic when it's like, okay, um, well, I only have so many hours, and I can only do so many repairs. So I've, I would raise my price to kind of, uh, do what you do in business. I raise the price to kind of edge it off. Now, keep in mind, some people can charge way more than that. So everybody's going to have a different opinion, whether that's a lot or a little. I, I don't really think of it that way. I just came over the number that basically said, I, re I backed into it. I think that's the only way I could do it. I went, okay, what do I need to make a year to pay my kid, you know, pay for my kid's food, pay the mortgage, pay the bills. And then how much work do I need to do that? And then I backed into it. That's what I did. So, um, so hopefully that was, uh, like I said, if, and there's, hold on. 
Oh, Will for Thinker says, I didn't catch the reason why fret sprouts more prevalent. It's because they're, they're fast. I like to say fast drying. They're fast drying the wood now. So you see it more and more. Um, I actually had a, a guy reach out who uh, is a wood supplier for a guitar company. And he was saying that, you know, it's not just the kilning process that I'm kind of, you know, just pigeonholing it. One thing, it, it doesn't matter why it's happening. It just matters that it is happening. Manufacturers are building guitars faster now. Faster meaning from the time that the, the wood kind of lands to the time there's a guitar out the door, time to dealer, the process is happening faster than it has, and you know, and, it, and it's getting more kind of expedited. And then more, more it happens that way, the more you see problems when you're repairing. And that's a little bit of anecdotal because I'm just saying that because of this one thing's happening, this is why it's happening. But I mean, that is what I see. So I can only tell you what I see. Um, yeah, Tony G says he charges 125. Yeah, that's the, the problem for me now is I don't, I don't, I haven't done repair since I switched to making pickups. That's the issue. I haven't. So you got to understand, like, uh, so, so I told you that's this, that goes like this. The, the lockdown happens. I stopped. I started making pickups around that time. And then the lockdown got backed off. So I started doing repairs again. But the problem is, is that, you know, people would bring in repairs and you only need, you only need a couple times for this to happen in any, any kind of business where people are like, Hey, is the guitar done yet? Is the guitar done yet? And meanwhile, I'm like, I got like two dozen pickups to wind and I don't have any time. And, and in my world, like I said, I need, I need my days to flow a certain way. So I spend the morning winding pickups. I spend the afternoons or the day working, uh, doing my other gigs. And then, and the afternoon is when I do YouTube stuff. So it works for me. It, it flows. So, um, until the pickup thing kind of chills out, I don't see repair coming back into the play. So, okay. Uh, okay. Hold on a second. Yes, uh, Paul says CNC and kiln, kiln blasting. Yeah, I mean the CNC. I mean it's it, like I said, it's a whole process. And and again, you know, you just see more of it, and that's all. You just have to be prepared. The good news is that in my experience, once you repair, uh, a, it's a fretboard shrinking. We call it fret sprout, but it's fretboard shrinking. But the term has been fret sprout forever. The industry is riddled with inaccurate statements, right? We call it a vibrato arm, a tremolo arm. This is how things are going to go. This is what it's called. <laughs> um, but, uh, when it comes to, uh, the fret sprout, uh, it's, it's once you correct it in my experience, very rarely do you see the fretboard continue to shrink once it's shrank the first time. So it dries out and pretty dries out and it's pretty much done. Um, Jim, thank you for the super chat. Uh, at 10 says last week, clarification, Jaguar single coil. Oh, cool. Okay. Cause this is a question we got last week, uh, claw style pickup, uh, but but uh, humbucker version, I couldn't find much, but I did see a noiseless version. Thanks. Okay, so last week we were talking about a Jaguar pickup um, uh, that had the claw style, which is uh, I call it the comb. It looks like a hair comb on the side. It's a uh, it's a for magnetic purposes. Uh, there's there's only. There are a few, I say only a few, there are a few pickups I've never tried to make, uh, make you know, because I've never had a, and, and I've never made a Jaguar pickup. Uh, I never had the inkling to do it. So 
It's not something I'm familiar with. I did a video. It's kind of funny. I did a video a few years ago and, um, and, um, where I took a lipstick pickup and I cut it open and I went in through it and I thought I'd share it with everybody. And, uh, what I didn't share was what I was cutting it open for. I was cutting it open. That, uh, actual lipstick pickup is actually in one of my guitars to this day. I took it apart. So I was really reverse engineering it so I could make one. I wanted to make some lipstick pickups and I didn't know how to do it. So I just cut one open and cause I had a YouTube channel, I go, Oh, I'll just film it. So there's a video of me cutting open a lipstick pickup and tearing it all apart in the video. And then and then afterwards, I spent weeks messing with them and making a set of them to kind of learn about how to do them. And I learned about all about captain tape and all that stuff. And I just didn't know anything about it. And it's just that's how you do it, man. That's that's as simple as it gets. Get something and tear it apart and then figure out how to put it back together. I don't know if that's the best way, but I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> it, it, once you tear it apart, you better find a way to put it back together. Uh, evil. Genuous design, something. Uh, it says, uh, what, what, what would be a respectable discount on a PRS core model? Uh, how would I tactfully approach the request? Also, thoughts on discounts at Rainbow Guitars. Uh, like I said, I bought my journeyman uh, guitar for Rainbow. I've told you my story about when I was a teenager at Rainbow. But uh, last year, I bought that journeyman from Rainbow and drove down there and made an appointment. You have to make an appointment. If you guys aren't familiar with the Arizona area, there's a, st a store in Tucson, Arizona called Rainbow Guitars. It's kind of like the nicest store in Arizona for wh what it carries. It carries some of the most premium stuff. It's one of the few stores that carries stuff, premium stuff in, in the whole entire state. And uh, you have to have an appointment now. I think it's still that way. Uh, to go in, to get inside. And we went in and bought it. And on that one, uh, I didn't get a big di uh, discount, so you know. But what I did was, I, uh, I when I bought the Journeyman, uh, the guy was very nice, the guy, the employee there. I, I forget his name. I feel horrible, uh, but I did. Uh, and uh, I said, I'll take it. So he knew I was going to buy it. I already said, okay, I'll take it. And I said, uh, I can pay credit, uh, debit, or cash whichever works for you. And he says, well, cash is king. And I said, great. And he says, if you do cash, I'll give you a discount. And I think he, he didn't give me tax out the door. He gave me like 7% off. Maybe that is tax. Cause ta I think Tucson's tax a little lower than ours. Uh, so it, it was good. It was, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks off. I got a couple hundred bucks off. So, you know, same thing. Um, so back to your question, what's a respectable discount on a core model? Um, I, 10%. I mean, here's the tricky part about discounts and this, uh, we'll finish the show on this because it was the one of the first questions and it's gonna i like this because i pin these questions so that if there's multiple questions we can talk about this in a more in-depth way um this question ties into your question and it says what was the question okay so let me answer both questions this way let me read the other question and i'll give you the the full picture it says phil who do we hurt when we ask for a deal Example, I am taking, am I taking money out of my Sweetwater reps pocket when I ask for a lower price? Question mark. What about folks at GC, Sam Ash, et cetera, et cetera? And of course, I'm going to include mom and pops and stuff. So this, this question comes up a lot on the show. I really like this question um, because obviously, like I said, it's uh, something I give you experience. And it's one of the benefits of having a music store for a decade and then not having a music store anymore is one, I'm versed in the information to give you. And two, I have no reason not to give it to you because 
it's not going to affect me. And it's, again, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just saying, usually you get industry insight from somebody who was in an industry and now out of it. And that would be me in this case. So that's why it's sometimes nice because I don't have to worry about, uh, uh, you know, next Monday, a, a vendor getting pissed at me for telling you guys stuff. There's nobody to get pissed at me. I don't work for anybody. So, um, so to answer both those questions, let me, let me give it to you this way. First of all, when it comes to asking for discounts, cause a lot of you guys ask about that. Let me just give you this way as someone who, who, who was on both sides of the, of the counter for many, many years. I, I sure sometimes somebody would ask me for a deal and it would be like, Oh man, another person just trying to, no, nah, I can't make more money off anybody. Of course. Could you have that in your head? Sure. But the reality is this, it didn't take me long in my experience to figure out there's a difference between the person who doesn't give you any money and somebody who just wants to give you a little bit less than what you want. And in the grand scheme of things, a customer is a customer. That's this, that, and we're all adults. And as an adult, as a store owner, I would give you a discount if I could to make the deal because, uh, you know, I can put money in my pocket and I could, you know, pay my bills and feed my kids and live a life and be around guitars. And that ultimately, you know, everybody's going to have a different philosophy because there's different kinds of businesses. But in my business, if I could be around guitars and make some money, that was kind of like my dream. So that being said, I never really took offense to it. And if I can make profit, I make profit and keep in mind certain things. This is where I want you to think about when you ask for a deal, don't worry what they think. Just be kind and ask for whatever discount you want. The reality is this. Sometimes somebody asks me for a deal on a guitar that I know for a fact there's 20 in stock, not in at my store, but at the manufacturer's warehouse. So as soon as I sell it to you, I'll just order another one with the money you just gave me. And that one, I'll make even more money. In the meantime, I'm not losing a sale. So for instance, somebody come in the store and maybe ask for the last one. I know there's no more in stock across the country. Well, why would I give you the deal? So same thing. You could come in, you could come into my shop and ask me for a deal on two different guitars and get two totally different answers based on the guitar, the product, not on me, not on the market, not on the economy, not on anything, just basically guitars. I'm not going to give away something I don't have to. And I'll give away something that I know it's easy to get and flip easy and it's fast. That would be my logic. It's not everybody's logic. Um, so, but what I can tell you is you can say a number so low that it just seems stupid because <laughs> you're just like, really? Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've told you guys this many times. Most retailers are going to make a 30% margin. That is the very common in this industry. It's very easy to figure out. So if they want a thousand dollars map street price, they paid about seven. Sometimes they can have a 40% margin. Sometimes they can have 50. Sometimes they have 20. There's different margins, of course, to different product lines and how it's structured, whether or not they got free freight, whether they, whether they paid shipping, um, all of the things. And then, of course, their own costs because there's cost overhead that they have. But we're just talking about what they paid for it and then what they plan to flip it for. In most cases, like a PRS core model, you expensive guitars you tend to get more margin on because you're going to sit on them longer so it's really so and this is why like i said i like these conversations because one thing that happens is when you're in a small store or mid-sized store is you don't talk to other stores you know uh everybody's your competitors so you don't want to tell them when you're stupid and you don't they don't want to you know you don't want to tell them when you figure something out so that's what's nice about sharing this stuff is because sometimes small maybe small stores don't know this because sales you gotta understand this is where it gets tricky and i've had everybody likes to make comments they've never done this and they put it in the comments in the videos that's fine they can leave comments but please when you read those comments uh, you know understand that unless they've done this i don't know what to say about that here's what i mean by that 
if a if a rep comes into a music store and says, "Hey, would you like to carry my line?" and it, yeah, and it's a thirty percent margin, and you say okay, then that's what it is. And so when I say that, you have to understand that if I say this this other brand has a forty percent margin, and somebody says, "Oh, he's wrong." Well, I could be wrong, but also you could the rep could have just given you a worse deal or a better deal because you know there is a little bit of a negotiation this on all levels. Some stuff is built in where it's pricing. Like in other words, some brands come to your store and they have a list. It's nice. It's very very very, very nice. Like this is what we sell it for. This is what you pay. This is what you have to order. And then sometimes it's just, they're verbally communicating with you and there's nothing in writing. So whatever you, you agree to is what you get. So if they can make you write a a bad deal where you don't make as much margin, um, then, uh, then there you go. (laughs) You just took it. So back to the PRS core, I say a 30% margin is probably what most dealers are going to be sitting on with that guitar and and probably a little better than that in some cases. However, that being said, so you can understand the reason I tell you that is so that you know that if you go up to a a guitar, like a PRS that's 20 or $2,000, right? And so if you're doing the math on that, that means the dealer may make 600 bucks if you buy the guitar pure. In other words, just you know, not, not factoring credit card fees, not factoring in their employee costs, not factoring anything, right? That's $600 gross that they get to now figure out how to, you know, to do, you know, cause they have other expenses. Uh, and then if you come in and say, Hey, that's a $2,000 talk, I'll give you, I'll give you 1200 bucks. You can see why they're going to get pound sand. Cause they're not going to sell it to you for less than they paid for it. it. seems stupid. So, um, that, that being, that being said, uh, I think what's a fair price discount to ask for, in my opinion, for both sides is 10%. I always ask for 10% or cause I like sometimes get a better deal than that. I find, I just ask them for the discount. I find that's a great negotiating talk to, tactic. Hey, I really like this guitar. Is there any kind of incentives or deals that you can make? And what I find is most of the time they give you a better deal than you would ask for. Cause I would ask for 10 and they'll, and they do 15 or 20% off. Um, so I find asking them, uh, and then be prepared, you know, in your head where you are a buyer at, you know what I mean? Um, I'll tell you what used to drive me crazy. I'll tell you a pet peeve that used to make me nuts. And as a seller, and I'm not trying to make you guys feel, uh, you know, insecure about making offers. I just want you to be aware of this. What I used to hate was agreeing to a deal and then them leaving. It used to drive me bat s crazy. <laughs> hey man, how much that guitar is $2,000. Hey, would you do it for 18 out the door? Yeah. Cool. I'll let you know. Goodbye. And I'd be like, no, you know what? (laughs) And I will tell you, uh, maybe once or twice it's happened (laughs) where the person came back and I wouldn't order the deal. (laughs) It's, it's, it's happened. Okay. I'm not saying a whole, a bunch of times, but it's, it's happened. (laughs) Okay. Because you're like, really? I gave you the deal you asked for you. Like, right. You said what to me, if you ask for a deal, buy it. If they, if they hit your number, right? Uh, so do that. That's my personal thing, you know? So when you say, would you take this price? And they say, yes. I think in good taste, you should be like, I know sometimes you're, you're, you're trying to work it in your head. Like if they do this deal, then I think I'll figure out how to make it happen. And I don't want to try to figure it out until I know they'll hit the deal. But sometimes you can be upfront about that too, upfront. But I'm just saying that was my pet peeve. I don't know if I would, you know, if it would upset me that much, but that would be the one thing that would drove me crazy. But back to you guys and asking for deals. I don't think it hurts the, the retailers. The retailers are grown people. They can decide for themselves too. If they don't want to give you a deal, you didn't 
you didn't coerce them into it. You didn't, you know, right? You just ask them. Asking for a deal is basically an easy way to say, I'm a buyer at this price or at a better price. Are you interested? And if they are, they'll take it. And if they're not, they won't. And like I said, every time I just say it over and over again, um, you guys constantly reaffirm that, by the way, because I'll say, hey, if you call your Sweetwater rep and ask for a deal, they'll give it to you. Same thing, musician's friend, Sam Ash, right? So actually, I think Sweetwater is probably the least likely to give you the discount, but they'd still give you discounts. And every time, every week in the comments, in your videos, over and over and over, I get the same responses. Wow, I got a deal. Or, wow, I got a deal. Or, no, I asked and they said no. And like I said, it's not you. It's not personal. It's the product you're asking about. Some products have margin. Some products are hard to get. Some products have no margin. Some products are easy to get. It, it's really about that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to keep the money that you earned, that you made in your pocket. I think that's the best thing you can do with your money, <laughs> right? Let's try to keep as much of it in your pocket as possible. And like I said, I think giving so many business is great because I told you, I'll say this again, I would, I, I never ever felt bad about customers uh, working me for deals because, like I said, there was customers who didn't even, you know, they weren't even customers. They just came, you know. So you always, you know, that's the that's the business of retail selling. If you sell things, you got to be in the business of selling things. So, uh, you know, you think you have to have a thick skin on YouTube, man. You have to have thick skin in and retail. So to answer both those questions, that's how we answered it. So the answer is basically, uh, you know, who does it hurt? It doesn't hurt anybody. Um, it doesn't hurt to ask and it doesn't hurt to be asked for a deal. Um, if somebody gets upset and tells you off cause you asked them for a better price, well then they're in the wrong business. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe they should deal in a business where they don't have to deal with things that they don't want to hear. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> there's worse things to be asked or, to, uh, you know, talked in a, in a retail environment than, you know, negotiating a better price. And on that, and so like I said, and they're adults, and if they take the deal, they took the deal. And then on your end, to the answer to the other part of the question, which like I said, that's why I like the both questions that were like both sides of the, uh, is what is a respectable discount to ask for? Well, I personally think it's 10%. But I'm going to remind you one more time, I still think if I'm giving the best advice I can, I would, I would probably suggest asking them what the best discount they could give is. Hey, what is the best deal you can do? Or what's the best price you can do? Or what's, you know, what can you do if I was to purchase the guitar today? Which is a great way to say that. Because it's like, hey, I'm a buyer. Is there any incentive you can give me to make the purchase today? Right? And and so, you know, uh, my wife, uh, which is very good at this, by the way, too, um, we use that, um, and especially when we were getting jobs bid, cause we had a lot of work done around the house and the same thing. Hey, we're thinking about having the work done in a couple months. We're looking to see what it costs here up front. So they know if they're giving a bid, they don't have to rush out. They can come to Okay. Well, then I'll come tomorrow afternoon when I'm on my way back home from my other job. You're like, great. Now you're not killing their time. And then when they gave us the quote, we would say, okay, we're thinking about having this done in a month, but if we were to buy it or pay today, could you give us any incentive? And sometimes they're like, no, you know, I don't have time to get to this stuff. So this is the deal. And we're like, okay. Or they say, sure. Yeah. We can knock $500 off if you, if you were signed it today. So again, it's just a communication thing, being honest with people saying things, uh, you know, tell them, look, I just want to give you money. That's essentially what you're saying. I want a thing. I want to give you money, but I want to keep as much of the money as possible because it's my money and I work very hard for it and they work hard for their money. And hopefully in the middle, you'll find a nice sweet spot. 
So hopefully that answers both of those questions. And then LitFace says $75 in 2004 is $118 today in inflation. Is that high now? Well, in, se- in 2004, it wasn't $75. In 2004, it was $45. Uh, I probably switched to $75 in 2009, 2010. Somewhere around there. I bet you it was around 2009 or 10, give or take. So like I said, I know I, I, I got aggressive the first. Uh, in my area, I was the most aggressive, the f- fastest. But uh, then I just, just kept it that way forever. So, but yes. Um, and then I just want to make sure that I didn't miss any. I didn't. Okay. I didn't want to make sure any more super chats because uh, as you guys know, we kind of keep the super chats towards the end so I can make sure anybody who super chatted got their questions answered as well. All right. Uh, <laughs> Floopity Doo says, sometimes waving a gun around helps. What's that from? What movie is that from? That's a stand up comedian, right? Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Ah, it's going to drive me crazy. I'll figure it out afterwards. All right. On that note, (laughs) Uh, uh, okay. Well, Sean Brooks says, do you charge more per hour for YouTube videos or for guitar fixing? The most I charge per hour, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, is for working with companies on the things I help them with, which is a lot of times social media and or their business uh, model. Uh, so I guess we would call that consulting. That is something I did before YouTube. I've definitely, uh, ramped that up as the YouTube's grown. This live show helped that you can imagine a lot of businesses. Um, and then during the pandemic, that kind of surged too, that helps too. Again, cause like I said, in my world of like called the gig economy, where I have lots of different things that I do, something's always firing. In other words, something's doing well. So either YouTube videos are performing and if that's not happening, then I'm, I got the thing. The most I charge for hours for that. Uh, nothing comes close to that. And to the point where sometimes that ramps up so much that I'm like, Oh, I don't even want to do the other things anymore. But, um, but, uh, but as for YouTube videos, YouTube videos are all over the place and there's no rhyme or <laughs> logic to it. And I can tell you right now, it's definitely not the highest thing I get paid for because I have YouTube videos where I've, I don't even think I've made a, you know, a dollar an hour. I mean, again, that sound makes it sound horrible, right? But I mean, there's videos where I probably made a hundred dollars an hour, or two hundred dollars an hour, or three hundred dollars an hour. Um, but I mean, it, so I mean, you have to figure it out and average it out. What I will tell you is, I will never average out my time and figure out what I get paid on YouTube because I'm afraid it either make it. It was. It's probably something that you can't look at YouTube that way. YouTube is you. The YouTube game that I that I, the way I see it is a game of you do this because you love it. And there just happens to be a dividend at the end. And that's, that's the, that's the caveat. But I can tell you just, I heard, I used to hear musicians say this when they're in bands and I, I can absolutely tell you as a YouTuber, whatever the hell that means. Uh, if, if, if I even am such a thing, um, as a YouTuber, I will absolutely tell you, if you're not doing this because you like it, you are not going to make it at all at all, because there are some days where you will just analyze this and just go, I can work, I could work at McDonald's and then forget to pay me for half my hours and still make more than I made on a YouTube deal. And again, sometimes you get paid a lot. It, it's, it's like I said, it's, that's why I said there's, there's, it's this all the time. And, uh, and, uh, uh, so 
<laughs> that's a different video for a different day. All right, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, I, th- I want to pre- uh, thank you guys and tell you guys I appreciate you guys for hanging out. It's always a highlight of my week to hang out and talk guitars and the industry and everything else we can talk about. And uh, on that note, you guys have a fantastic weekend. Go play some guitar. And uh, I will do the same thing. And until next Friday, well, actually, hopefully you guys will pop in and see some of the videos I made during the week too. But otherwise, until next Friday, thank you so much for your time. Know your gear.